Ready, Dave? Why is the world in love? Just kidding. We're done with Flood. Hey, everyone. This is Don't Let's Start, a podcast about They Might Be Giants. I'm Jordan Cooper. I'm Dave Fox. I'm Jordan Cooper. <laughs> I'm Jordan. Okay. Whoa. So what is this? This episode? Oh, my God. I have been excited about this for months now. Dave, haven't you? Jordan, I was born excited. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I heard about that uh, yeah, procedure a, you had in the hospital. It's a big story in the newspaper. This is an interview with Brian Doherty. Brian Doherty, he was They Might Be Giants drummer from 1993 to the very, very end of 1996, literally New Year's Eve, 96. He played on... Dave, help me out here. I, I can't remember <laughs> what he played on. He played on Why Does the Sunshine EP. Whoa, that's a crazy EP. He played on John Henry. He played John on, Henry, I love that album. And, and uh, the outtakes of John Henry, which turned into some of Long Tall Weekend. The outtakes of John Henry are almost as good as John Henry. <laughs> and uh, Factory Showroom. Factory Showroom, what an interesting album to talk about <laughs> one day. <laughs> he and played on some great stuff. He played on a lot of he That's played on people. some severe tire damage songs you might know. He played on a lot of some obscure stuff, some rarities, some stuff that you'll, some you'll hear about. Yeah, some scary songs. He did the Monster Mash. So let's just chat briefly, Dave, me and you, about how this came to be. Uh, we we contacted Brian. He's the nicest guy in the world. He very <laughs> quickly was like, "Yeah, let's talk. Let's hang out." He's warm. He's friendly. He's cuddly. He's inviting. Yes. And so speaking of which, he, he invited us to his home. And not only did he invite us to his home, he, we were there for two days, <laughs> not in Folks, a row. <laughs> we had so much to say. We came back. Yeah, we didn't sleep over, but we yeah. <laughs> we came. He has a family. <laughs> I don't think he wants us there. But he um, so what you're going to hear in, in this episode is we we sat in on the patio, which I thought was odd as it was three degrees outside mm -hmm. in the winter. No, just kidding. This was in June. This was like we did this a while. Yeah, ago. we did this a while ago, but we actually spoke for seven hours, which is why it's taken me so long to piece this together together into something that is is unbelievably entertaining for all you people so we did this in june we sat in his in his uh, outdoor backyard it was a lovely area. day his dog was running around which his you'll dog hear is very cute <laughs> his dog's kind of the secret uh, secret recipe of this uh, amazing interview what was one of your favorite parts in this interview just to pump pump our audience up well, I love hearing about John Henry. Yes. And song by song on John Henry specifically. Yeah, there's a lot of amazing insights into into the John Henry song, stuff that I musical references, things that I had no idea were there. Especially the recording stuff. I'm really interested in that. What it was like Studio recording stuff. John Henry. I'll say one of my I think my favorite story in this uh interview in this part is he talks he tells a really interesting story about the snail shell music video shoot. Right. And I think everyone will really love that. Which I rewatched after because I had to see the context he was talking about. Dave, I want to make a bet that almost everyone who hears this will then rewatch the snail shell video after because I know I did when we got home you can't that view day. It the same way again. Yeah, it's true. One thing that we talk about quite a bit in part one and part two, so, and this is just to give a little context, 
Brian Doherty had had a few blogs up where he was talking. He had this like he mentioned that he had this like memoir planned about his time and they might be giants among other things. So a lot of this interview is framed in that way where he's he's kind of telling us what these chapters would have been about. Right. And this was really exciting for me to hear because I've actually wondered this for years. I just want to as an audio note, you will hear some outdoor sounds which i think is pretty cool but at one point someone blows a leaf blower like and an asshole i've never <laughs> wanted to uh, strangle a person more in my life but it's okay apparently he didn't get the memo that yeah don't let's start a podcast about they might be giants we're coming to town yeah to do some important shit exactly uh it's really not too bad but just so just nah, in case fine. you're wondering what's happening in your ears uh but so this is this is but part one of a, a very lengthy two-day long interview with with brian doherty we talk about the albums we talk about a start in drumming we talk about some collaborations with other artists that yeah. that some of you might be fans of because it's all part of that tmbg world so uh before we move on i just want to say do you appreciate these amazing interviews that that me and dave do we're we're outside of our comfort zones we're not <laughs> interviewers we don't know what we're doing that's true so if you like this stuff if you love this stuff if you love our stuff then go to anchor.fm slash don't let's start and there is a support button, and you could support us for measly, Dave, measly. Hundreds of dollars. Hundreds of dollars a month. So look, everyone, please enjoy this interview with Brian Doherty. Dave, I think you did a great job in this interview. Oh, thank you. you I think you did as well. Dave really asked the hard-hitting questions like... Where's did, the bathroom? Where's the bathroom? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but whoever, who, who did the best job... Brian Doherty, Brian. you will hear he is a wonderful storyteller. A wonderful he, speaker. A wonderful man. He had a lot to say about his time and They Might Be Giants. Yes. Uh, you people who are big fans of, of trying to figure out what makes John and John tick, I think <laughs> you'll like some of his anecdotes about hanging out with them. You, you really get like the inside... I really, I personally, as a They Might Be Giants fan, like these interviews are almost kind of outside of myself because I'm like, I can't believe this exists. Yeah, it's so crazy. I loved hearing his stories about hanging out with them. And, and it was, it really was like putting yourself in this virtual, like, what is it like to be in the band for a few years? He was very open and he was very generous with his time. And it was great. It was a great interview. Yes. So let's get right to it. Part one of interview with Brian Doherty. Okay, here we're, we are. We're here with Brian Doherty. Here we go. This is exciting. Hi. Hey guys, how you doing? Great, great. It's so beautiful outside. It really is. <laughs> we are we are sitting outside. Yeah, you, you can hear. Can't see. Yeah. Okay, so wow. There's a lot to talk about. I guess we should just start like right at the beginning with sure. what what got you into drumming. Yeah, definitely. You know what? I think I got into the drums because I wanted to be in a band. And I think Ringo got me into the drums. Really? Yeah. Do you and, have a favorite uh, like Ringo performance? You know, I mean, you know, he's playing on Abbey Road mm -hmm. and uh, later on Let It Be. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's my dog Lexi in the background. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's why this is going to be my favorite interview yes, yet. Yes, Lexi's here with us. Uh, but you know what? Yeah, I got, <laughs> I got into being a band. That's basically it. I wanted to uh, be in a rock and roll band. Is it like the kind of the gang mentality? Like it's you and your gang against the world kind of thing? Yeah, I kind of feel it. You know, I realized later later in life that like there are some drummers who got into drumming because they wanted to be drummers and 
play drum solos and stuff like that and be like famous drummers. And that that wasn't me. I always wanted to be a drummer who's gonna like play with other people, play with their song, play their songs, and play play in a band with them. So um, that's kind of it, you know. Kind of kind of turned me on rock rock and roll music. Do you remember like your first time like playing in front of people? Probably or one like of in the middle school or something, oh, really? you know. I had garage bands in middle school and mm-hmm. stuff and playing in front of friends or at some house parties or something. We've gotten a lot of funny early band names with people we've interviewed. Do you know do you remember any of those oh, early bands? I names? was I was in a band that was a horrible <laughs> name called Celestial Transport. <laughs> this is a running thing. Bill yeah. Krause told so, us. Oh my god, it's like just a horrible name. We, we, it's we, a mouthful. We, we, we thought it was so cool. We we're gonna be yeah. like the next yes. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I see the album cover. Transfer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but oh my god, how how embarrassing. Wearing like white suits and without yeah. space in the background and you're on yeah. I, I know. totally see it. It's totally it's so horrible. Funny. How did you make the transition from playing drums, uh honing your, your instrument to playing in front of people? Um, was that difficult for you? Did you have any stage fright? Um, yeah. Was it natural? That's a great question. No, totally. Like it's, it's petrifying. Yeah. To, mm. to, to play in front of people. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. It's like <laughs> anybody who's ever played an instrument in front of like their aunts and uncles or at a barbecue. It's like it's petrifying, no matter what. So um, it's kind of it's kind of building building the muscle. It's like uh, it's it's not easy to do, and. Uh, I kind of felt later, like later when it became, you know, when it was like my profession, playing play in front of people, I definitely felt that, that the larger the audience, the easier it was. Like we could play, I could play the biggest place and it becomes more anonymous. Interesting. You don't, you don't right. see people, yeah, yeah. they're not looking at you. You huh. don't see somebody yawning in the background. <laughs> you're not, you're not uh, feeling sensitive about why they're not jazzed about what you're playing whatever it's just like they're like faceless you know it's like a faceless <laughs> audience but when you're playing in a place with like 30 people mm-hmm. that's petrifying yeah so, yeah i hear it, you can only see the first 10 people <laughs> or, or the first row of whatever it is you're yeah, playing usually yeah yeah you, you know if you're if you're playing in a club or you know with like decent lighting maybe you could see the first few rows or whatever of people but um you know most of us us meaning all of us musicians, we always play gigs where there's no one there. Sure. <laughs> like five people there. So we're all going to experience this kind of feeling of intimacy where we're playing for people that are kind of listening and they're waiting for us, you know, they're waiting, they're waiting for something to happen. Right. Mm. And uh, judging. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that's, a, that's, that's a good question. It's not easy. It's never, never easy. Do you still have those feelings now? as much or does it more depend on like the importance of the gig both i think yeah it's like uh i feel that i'm always conscious of the audience and of course you always want people to like what you're doing you know but to a degree i've done i've done it i feel like i've done it now so much that like i feel so what i i don't care (laughs) i don't care if you like it or you don't like it yeah yeah. kind of of thing i guess i guess you always want people to like what you do yeah yeah um so building up to to being hired to work with they might be giants like how how did it turn into like I don't, do you like the term session musician or is yeah that- no you know what i mean it's something that i've i learned about session musicians like in the you know i'm a little bit older so i learned about session musicians like like in the early 80s and i really that there are musicians that just play with you know different people every day or they record television commercials and movie soundtracks and they don't play with one band yeah and uh 
I always kind of aspired to be like one of those guys. Like, and I don't know if it's related, but I I spent a lot of my high school years reading album jackets. Yeah, to, like Same. just you know, it's such a tragedy that there's no credits. You know, you can't like yeah. read credits anymore because mm-hmm. I could like pick up a pick up an album in a Sam Goody. Yeah, and. Read, read, read the credits without even buying I or mean, listening to the music. That's how I know your name. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, and I, I know all the members of who played with They Might Be Giants and other bands I like because I used to do that too. I used to bring the record, like CD booklets with me to school. Yeah. And I would just kind of look at them <laughs> and I would just read them and read them. I know. You know. I mean, I even started seeing like who the engineers were, exactly. who the producers were. Why does this album sound different than that one? Who's, yeah. who, are we, who are these guys yeah. always going back to to work with? So it's, would, it's really interesting. I saw Brian Eno's name on like a, a billion mm-hmm. records. Right. And then I saw, um, you know, George Masterberg's name on a gazillion records i think that's his name if that's, if that's not his name but <laughs> we can um, look it up later but uh yeah different different engineers producers and i would so so for me i saw the same drummers and bass mm-hmm. players come up a lot right you know jim keltner came up a lot jeff Percaro came up a lot it's just this playing with different different genres and different different people so i got very curious about playing about I, I I guess that sparked my interest, or I guess it gave me uh, the okay that it's that it's all right, right to play with different people at different at at the same time, different different situations that it's okay to bounce around. Do you like that kind of? Not that it's totally anonymous, but sometimes for session musicians, like there is kind of like it almost is like a secret thing. Like I'm on this recording, and yeah, people yeah, don't really yeah. know unless they dig into you know especially for commercials and stuff like that do you like that aspect of it i guess it? it's kind of good you know <laughs> in that respect but it's kind of stinks yeah i could because you're no one ever really knows because of it no one ever really knows who you are mm-hmm. unless you're dave and jordan who come to my house and <laughs> want to ask me we questions know. but <laughs> yeah, but, yeah we'll always know but um yeah there's i guess you'll <laughs> never i mean there there's very few of us who who are like you know, who are reading album jackets and jewel, mm-hmm. jewel case credits and stuff, you know. I think our podcast appeals to, like, the really obsessive music people. So I think, That's what I liked about your podcast. Yeah. It really, really digs, digs deep, you know. Yeah. I actually think we're, well, at least in my case, I'm doing the bare minimum of, like, well, I, I spent the time looking at this album. I want to know who, who did it. Some people don't know who, who's even in the band. I always have questions, like... You know, of course, they're internal because I never get to ask them. But, <laughs> but of like, you know, classic records, like a Roxy music record, like how many takes did you guys have to do for, you know, yeah. X, Y, or Z? Was, was this a first take? Well, we or might was get this to like, some of those. Yeah, was, was this like the 15th what... take or, mm-hmm. you know, or was this an edited take? So I like I like all that behind the scenes. But it would be it would be even better to take one one additional step mm-hmm. and to ask yeah. the actual person who's there. A question about what actually happened. Yeah, you know? yeah that's why we're doing this. Yeah, it's yeah, good, good. good. It was ju- just a matter of um, I was willing. I guess a big part of it was my willingness to play with different bands, di- different genres. I guess at one period of time, like I was playing with jazz people mm-hmm. and mm. singer songwriters and bands and other bands that whose drummers 
you know, stepped out, so they needed a replacement. I was playing on Blinker Street, you know, back in the days yeah. when Blinker Street, like, had, you know, a couple clubs. I was playing on Avenue A sure. a lot at Brownies when that was open <laughs> yeah. in the Continental and different hey. different places. Yeah, Dave way back when I'm dating. I'm dating myself yeah. and everybody else. But I, you know, I played the Continental. All my shows were on Avenue A. A couple times. Yeah, but, yeah, so I, I was playing at all of those places, like, every night with different bands, basically. Now, did you have... I'm assuming you did have formal training in playing the drums, and then was there a point where you just went off and started experimenting, doing your own thing, or yeah, you know, how long did you learn yeah, under I think, someone else? I think, yeah, I have formal training. I have a master's degree from the Manhattan School of Music and orchestral percussion and stuff. Oh, wow. But the thing <laughs> is, is, like, I, I think I came, you know, I wanted to pursue that at, when I was in high school because I was, I was the kid who was, like, you know, listening to... Leonard Skinner and ACDC and I wanted to kind of legitimize myself yeah you know, mm. le learn conservatory stuff and orchestral re re repertoire so um I think there's a there was just a time I realized you know it it is what it is you could take your background you take your knowledge but you just got to follow follow where your gut's leading you and stuff so is, is there you know. a genre you would gravitate to more than others or I'm totally a like band. I'm an ensemble open. drummer, you know. Mm. I'm not really like a solo or jazz guy or, mm. I, you know, for technical stuff <laughs> and jazz fusion and, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, when it even comes to, like, very, very, um, very delicate finesse kind of drumming where you need lots of bells and shakers and stuff that's not really my thing either yeah like interesting I, I play drums like and mm -hmm. that's i'm a band drummer and so it's kind of even though i've had all that training i've realized maybe you know i've just that's what I've, i'm always meant to be hmm. play, play drums in a band i definitely think you know what i mean we, we could talk we could talk about this later but i i personally think that the best drummer is the drummer that should go unnoticed you know, <laughs> yeah. that the best yeah. drum track is the one that should go unnoticed. And I talk about, sometimes I'll toss this out to other musicians, like, mm -hmm. have you ever listened to the drum track of Two Tickets to Paradise by Eddie Money? And they're like, never. <laughs> I hate mm. that song. And I'm like, well, too bad. You should really listen to that drum track because that's a sick drum track by, by you know, a great, great session drummer and played amazingly. And that, when you actually listen to it, you're like, holy shit. I agree. I, I actually, I would tend to gravitate that way too. There is something we said for the drummer that's like always in the pocket. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, the rhythm section, obviously, you know, as a bass player, I'm I'm going to stick up for the rhythm section. Yeah. It's very important. Wait, we have a rhythm section right here, right? Yeah. yeah well, yeah. see, I'm like, I'm kind of We're like starting the new band. ego songwriter guy. That's right. Well, and I'll follow you. Yeah. <laughs> that's just who I, how I am. But I've tried to be in bands where I'm in the background and I get right. worried. You know? I get it, <laughs> I hard. get it. Well, to have someone that's just really on point, yeah. which is really, the, in my opinion anyway, I mean, there may be disagreement, the drummer's first job is they're steering the whole ship. So if, if they're not in, in the zone, if they're, you know, if they're off tempo, if they're speeding up, slowing down, that, that's it, everything falls apart. So yeah. you can have someone that's flashier and then not coming back on the beat. <laughs> yeah. I'd rather have someone that could just stay in that pocket. You know, outside of this conversation, I mean, I may, I may have had this, this type of conversation like five times in my life with somebody <laughs> yeah. because a lot of people don't get it. 
Mm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I think about this stuff obsessively. Yeah. Why it's yeah, sure. well, it's like you want, you want someone to put on a show. I mean, you want a show, you know, you want a front man or front woman or some something to be the focal point, but you don't want that to undermine everything else that's going on, too. It goes back to this idea of collaboration. Right, you know? it's right. A, it's a, it's a, it's, it is, it is truly a group effort. If there's one person that wants a little more of that effort than <laughs> others, tough. I mean, it may not, it may not work out. So, <laughs> but to get back to your initial question, yes. this is like, I mean, this is all the stuff that kind of like kind of amped me up about being, you know, a, a drummer working with different people. Like I felt it was okay. It wasn't, it wasn't bad to like be working with different, I was very, very open to working with different artists and people would call me constantly and say, right. will, you, will you listen to my demo? And I would listen and, you know, I'd rehearse with artists and some would work out and some wouldn't work out. And we do a couple dates here and there and some would, can, you know, some things would, would flourish and some would just kind of fall. What was one of like the early, one of the earlier ones that had momentum where you were stuck with the band for a while and it seemed like things, you know, things yeah. were happening. Do you yeah, that's a good question. Uh, specifically, it was a band called The Silos that I oh, was in. Oh yeah. yeah. Realist, okay, yeah, cool. Yeah, you sent that. Yep. And uh, for, for a while, Graham maybe was also in that. Hey. Band. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We were signed to RCA Records and uh, I was not one of the songwriters in the band, so I was kind of a support, you know, mm-hmm. musician. And um, but the songs were really, really good. The silos were like honestly the best mix of like the Stones and Buffalo Springs. I could see that Buffalo yeah. Springfield. Mm-hmm. Cool. They weren't afraid to rock. I toured with them for a couple years and recorded a bunch of stuff with them. Was that your first experience with touring? No, before that, I had toured with different, like, random people. I did. Okay. My first big tour was with a jazz guitarist named Jonathan Butler, <laughs> who's he's, he's actually South African, but he was living in England at the time. And we opened up for Whitney Houston. Oh, my God. Wow. For, like, one of Whitney Houston's biggest tours. <laughs> and we what was spent that the like? whole summer opening up for Whitney Houston. <laughs> wow. Um, it was, was, very, it was really good, actually. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was kind of surreal. It was really good. Anybody who's ever been an opening act, uh, or if you've never been the opening act, you realize quickly that you're only playing 30 minutes set a mm. night. So you wait around all day, you get the last sound check, yeah. and then all of a sudden you play a 30 minute set and it's 8.20 and you're done. <laughs> you're, <laughs> yeah. what, what am I doing now? Yeah. So, um, no, but it was good. She was very, very cool to us a couple oh, cool. times I met her. She never really like socialized with us or anything. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it was a really good experience. That was my, that was, I, I was very, very young. I was playing huge venues. Mm, wow. So no, that, that was my first touring experience with Jonathan Butler. How did you acclimate to touring? Was it something you enjoyed? Was it a grind? Uh, we talked to different people that, you know, some people like it, some people, I've got you know, a lot to say sleep. about touring, by the way. Ooh, so, okay. Yeah. Okay. We no, can, we can circle it's, back. It's good. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good and bad. I mean, I was touring is for young, touring at the level of touring that I'm that I'm a, that I'm experienced with was is only good for young people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, van touring. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, right. And I was totally digging it. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> just like d- driving six hours a day, getting out loading into a club that was awesome 
Yeah, it was great. Yeah. It was fa- fantastic. So I never had this 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 moment where like, oh, touring is it's horrible. It sucks. Yeah, you know? touring. There's there's a lot to touring, and yeah. I don't know how how interested your your audience is in touring or hearing <laughs> me talk about touring, but we could talk about it more. Yeah, yeah. No, I, They're interested I enjoyed in what it. we tell them to be interested. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, to- totally, totally. You hear me? <laughs> so getting to They Might Be Giants, is there any other significant, I, before we get there, is there yeah. anything you wanted to cover um, before reaching that, that big section? I would No, I would just say that I continue, like in my professional journey, like I went from bands like The Silos to play, playing Bleecker Street again and brownies and unknown singer-songwriters and people, you know, trying to get record deals and so on, to um, I guess the next artist that I that I worked with that I really felt jazzed about was Freedy Johnston. Well, I sold the dirt to feed the band Falling right through my hands Yeah, I sold the That was really where, like, and that was kind of like maybe two years before I met up with the Giants, mm-hmm. and uh, and and there's a tie-in with Freedy to the Giants. Yeah, he did a hello. I have his hello CD of the month. Yep, call. and I could tell you, I could, I could give you the backstory on <laughs> sure yeah. on on his tie-in. And Freedy got a lot of attention, and we would open up for other people, and we did gigs opening up for the Indigo Girls, and we did a gig opening up for Perubu, and we played gigs at the Knitting Factory in New York City. So it was good. It was a there was a there was a good buzz about about Freedy. That was my, I guess, the the artist that I worked with before I met They Might Be Giants. And the Giants were also signed to Elektra. Jamie Kitman was, I don't know if he still is or not, but was married to a woman named Mar- Mar- Marjorie Galen. Can you verify that, Jordan? Who was Marjorie Galen, who was name. working <laughs> for, for a time, was working at Barnon Records. And I think she stepped out of Barnon. Well, because the Giants had a bar none experience, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so did Freedy. Freedy had a bar none uh, record. And I think Marjorie went to work for Jamie. And so Marjorie, ba- based on my work with Freedy, uh, what she heard, I had never met her, recommended me to They Might Be Giants. Okay. So that's the, that, that, that's the tie-in. So um, I'm very, very thankful to Marjorie. If, if if you're listening, <laughs> yeah, it was very very nice of her to to recommend me, and that was purely on you know what's I, I guess she was a Freedy fan and, and right. enjoyed the record and everything. So, mm-hmm. so what was that like? You know, the the first few times meeting the Johns and they might be Giants, and uh, especially because up until that point. They'd been largely without a band. So they, yeah, they hadn't made an album with a band, but they toured with a band yeah, for yeah, Apollo yeah. 18. Um, J.D. Feinberg was yeah, the drummer yeah. before you. Yeah, so it was it wasn't the full transition because they had played live with one. Yes. But in terms of making an album, that was like a big deal. Yes. To, I feel like to everyone <laughs> on both sides of the right. You know, the fans and the band itself. Um, so yeah, how I always wondered just like how does that all start like. Do you meet just did, 
to get to know well, each other it, first, or does I, it go jump right to the I remember it very, and... very vividly. <laughs> awesome. I mean, I remember I was I was living in West Orange, New Jersey at the time, mm-hmm. and um, I got I, I got a voicemail on my answering machine. Mm-hmm. Remember those days with answering machines? Yeah. <laughs> and it was John Flansburg. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, I'm looking for Brian Drummer, Brian Rock Drummer, Brian Doherty, or something, <laughs> yeah. some, something like that. And it's like, this is John Flansburg of They Might Be Giants. <laughs> wow. And uh, so he left me his number, and I called him back. And he we, we had a quick chat, and he told me that he got my number from Marjorie, and they were interested in aud- auditioning some drummers for, for an upcoming tour. And uh, I was like, yeah, let's do this. this. Sounds great. Until that point, I mean, I had known of the Giants music. I had heard Birdhouse in Your Soul and everything, but I wasn't like a, I wouldn't, they weren't in my rotation. Yeah, yeah. So to speak, you know? And, um, but we had a nice chat, you know? Yeah. And uh, I think like a week later, a couple days later, I met them at their studio. There was a studio on, it's not there anymore. It was called Coyote. It was on like Barry, between Barry and Wythe on oh, yeah, North, North yeah. 6th Street or something. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, and that was where they rehearsed. That was like their home base. So I met them there and it was definitely an, an, an audition. They had some other drummers there too. So it wasn't like, this wasn't a slam dunk. Yeah. But well, was that nerve wracking? Yeah, it was, it was a little <laughs> nerve wracking. But I remember, you know, we, we, we chatted a bit, too. I mean, because mm-hmm. so I guess in hindsight, it wasn't all about your drumming, you know? It wasn't it's all not, about your accents. Yeah, I know. It was about just, like, chatting. Yeah, and I, yeah. I guess, the chemistry. I guess, yeah, they wanted to see if they could do some travel dates with this drummer or whatever. So, yeah, so I think it was just me. It was me, Tony, John, and John. Do you think you stood out in a musical way at all that they, for you know, that led them to picking you? Or could you, I guess that would just be yeah. conjecture. But yeah, I, <laughs> you know, yeah. No, no, I would say it was probably a good combination. It was probably a healthy balance of, mm. of, of all of that, you mm-hmm. know, because I remember having a conversation just with John Linnell outside in the lobby, which, had, which for a little bit was like awkward because <laughs> there was a pinball machine in oh, the sure. lobby and I was playing I, I don't know why. This is silly, <laughs> but I was actually playing the pinball machine, mm-hmm. you know, and um, and so we kind of had a pinball game going between us, <laughs> yeah. you know, and and uh, but yeah, there was there was definitely kind of you a see social, your skill social, at pinball. Yeah, exactly. You must be a good exactly. Yeah, I'm so I was gonna say you had pinball. to do something to keep your hands busy <laughs> yeah, at all times. So, um, <laughs> but maybe you know, maybe tell maybe Tony had some input as well because i i know oh, that tony sure. was a trusted source of theirs and but but that was it it was just it was just a four it was very very pared down i mean when when i rehearsed with they might be giants in the early days it was like very very informal it was like kind of this you know yeah. it was kind of like <laughs> four guys sitting around and i mean we could circle back to this later about how we'd actually rehearse but yeah a lot of our rehearsal was spent we would spend talking yeah, and then and then realizing, holy too. shit, we should have we play music. something? Yeah, and then and then we'd be like, oh, time time for lunch, you know? <laughs> and we'd yeah. spend like three hours at lunch at Teddy's in Williamsburg or something. So yeah, Dave comes over to record the podcast, and we'll oh, just God. talk for an hour first. <laughs> yeah, and we're like, oh, geez, I we know. should start recording. You know what? <laughs> Maybe there's something to it because I feel like uh, I mean, at least in my life, I mean, time is like every. I'm always looking at the clock. It's like, yeah. <laughs> it's like uh, come on, let's go, let's go. We got two hours to rehearse, or I got to get out of here, and I got to, you know. Mm-hmm. But maybe, maybe there's something to be said for that 
era or whatever yeah. period of, well, what, of my life. Well, my drummer, when we practiced like in his basement and we weren't, because when you go to a studio and you just have a two hour block, it's like, all right, I don't care what happened to you during the week. We gotta, yeah, we're paying up, for this. Yeah. Play, yeah. <laughs> but when it was like in his basement, it was like, you know, check-in time. It was like, right. how you been? Like, you know, how's the girlfriend? How's the whatever? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. and, and then, you know, the hours would go by and right. you're just like play a song and then talk for another hour. <laughs> I, um, I took guitar lessons from Dan Miller, who's the mm -hmm. current guitarist. Yeah. Yeah. And, Humble uh, brag. I know. It was cool. <laughs> Um, it was kind of crazy, but um, I took guitar lessons with him for like almost a year. Wow. And it was the same thing. We would just talk for 20 minutes and he'd go like, all right, I won't charge you extra, yeah. but you <laughs> gotta yeah. do this. Yeah. And, you know, we just, we, we both were big fans of like XTC and mm -hmm. Frank Black and other people that, so we would talk about music. Yeah. yeah. It was kind of like this, honestly. And we would just talk about music for like 20, 30 minutes and then I mean, get to. <laughs> I guess there's something to be said for it because yeah. like, you're you're learning, you're hearing about other other bands, other other artists. I mean, so you can't can't be all business all the time, right? You know, but yeah, with the giant. So in in the in the early days, I I definitely felt that at least in those days, like I can be very shy. So I I think it took a while for all of us to kind of like warm up to each other. Mm -hmm. Like so, it was kind of a natural thing. It wasn't like we were best of friends right away. It was it's kind of like we kind of warmed up and. I would a big part of rehearsing with those guys would be just like listening. So we we would stop something and then listening to the two Johns talk across the room at each other about stuff, <laughs> yeah. right? But and it could could be a random thing like, oh, did someone did you do that interview this morning with blah blah blah? <laughs> yeah. So and, so, and they they would talk about business. They talk about somebody else. Talk about a third party that I've never heard of or known. And me and Tony would just be sitting there. Luckily, sometimes me and Tony and I would have a conversation and stuff. And then. All of a sudden, we'd pick up and do another tune. Do you remember like the first song you rehearsed? I was just gonna ask. I don't. I should have written down. I, I remember Flans gave me like a whole set list of songs. To I learn. wanted to ask about that. How much to learn? I always wonder when someone joins a band how they, you know, how they get all those songs in their head so fast. So, so you know what? I mean, <laughs> so Flans probably gave me eighteen to twenty. They might be giant songs to learn, and I remember. Well, I'll tell you. Exactly how I do it. Sure, yeah. I listen and I transcribe everything mm. onto paper. Oh, wow. And then, so it might take me three or four listens, and then, but I find that the actual writing it down. Mm -hmm. Like on sheet music? On, on, well, it could be on staff paper, staff yeah. Yeah. manuscript paper, or it could just be on blank paper. Wow. I'll write it out, but for drummers, it's easier, because I'm not, I'm not writing chord symbols and stuff. I'm just writing like rhythms or kicks right. or repeat signs. So it's a lot about the form and the feel of the song and whatnot. So yeah, I transcribed like 20, 20 They Might Be Giant songs like in a couple days. Wow. And then um, you know, definitely Don't Let's Start or was, yeah. was one, the guitar was one um, that I remember. Um, that seems like that dinner would have been a bell fun was one, one I remember. Mm, I mean, dinner bell. Yeah. Nice. There's like uh, definitely. <laughs> so yeah, I transcribed a bunch of songs, and I became very, I became a lot closer to the songs because of it. So God, there's so much to talk about with this stuff because there's there's learning the songs that have been recorded, like right. don't let's start. And are you basically, is the implication learn every single beat? Or yeah, that's that's a good, you know. <laughs> so yeah, I was given no direction, and oh. and and. Um, <laughs> I think, yeah, and they, and they, I feel like they kind of wanted me to come up with what my, my, my interpretation of what I would do, you know, and, um, 
to be honest with you, they didn't, they weren't really that picky. So it's about when I, when I came to them after learning their songs, they didn't pick it apart like, oh, geez, you really should do this or that. Or like the feel's wrong in this part. It's great in this part, but wrong in this part. It was more like, yeah, this is, this is pretty good. Let's keep rehearsing. So I kept getting positive signals that I was on the right track. Frankly, a lot of their, so much of their drum stuff is like <laughs> so prescribed. Yeah. yeah that, like yeah, if you don't play... X, Y, or Z, mm-hmm. you're t- completely wrong. Yeah, so, it doesn't sound like yeah, you have to yeah. play that. So, and don't let's start would be an example of that. So, yeah. it's not really any variation, really, you're going to come up with as a drummer to be like, yeah, this is so much cooler because it sounds good the way it is. And, like, yeah. if you don't play that specific rhythm, the song is not going to sound like the song. Their music is not really like set up for drummers to like step out and, and like do their own thing, mm-hmm. right? I mean, right. so I, that kind of ties in with what we were talking about earlier. It's like, that's kind of who I am. Like, I kind of like got it. I got the psychology of it uh, and the context of their music. So mm-hmm. I feel I could be wrong. Maybe, yeah. maybe they're listening to this now saying like, totally wrong, Darty. So, <laughs> what came first, playing a live show with them or recording something? With them? We had a specific, there was just like specific dates to be done. Sure. Oh, yeah. okay. And they were all like in the Northeast, like okay. the easy travel dates, like, I think our first date was at MIT and somewhere else in Vermont or something. So it was all like close, pretty, pretty close. So there were like four or five or six dates to be done. How long were you rehearsing before? I would you say were we probably rehearsed road. for like three weeks. <sighs> wow. It was like, I, I, I think I could be wrong, but I think I, I think we started rehearsing in late, late March or early April and the gigs were probably late April. You know, there were co- college dates before colleges let out, you know, and, um, no, but it was totally enough time. We yeah. rehearsed like from like 12 to five, four days a week or whatever. There was totally enough, totally enough time. To See, get, I'm thinking rehearsing one day a, a week. List. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's what, one yeah. day a month. Yeah. <laughs> oh, when's everybody free? Do you totally remember never. like the first show or? The yeah, first? yeah. I remember, I remember that show. I think that that was the, if it wasn't MIT, it was some college in in the Northeast. And yeah, it was, I remember I rushed everything. It was like, (laughs) everything was like twice the speed. And I remember one of the crew guys saying like, wow, everything sounded fast tonight. You know? And I thought that that wasn't me. It had nothing to do with me. Everything felt really slow. Uh, yeah, no, it was totally me. It's I was like rushing flash like time when everything's uh, yeah. slow motion around you. That's um, <laughs> yeah. I, I was totally energized and sure. yeah. probably like way too excited about playing <laughs> the music and stuff. Yeah. So yeah, I remember the show. It was good. It was actually a good show. Thank you. That was called Cell Phone Miller. We've got a new drummer tonight. Everybody seemed to like it and it seemed like the Johns were happy with it and the crew was happy with every everybody, yeah. you know, we were, and I guess that was the first time that maybe the couple of days prior to that was where really where I met their crew, the sound guy, yeah. the, all the techs and stuff. So it's kind of a family that you kind of have to fit sure. in with and stuff. So. Oh, so now joining us for the very first time, give a warm round of 
is the f- the first recording you made was that the White as the Sunshine? Yeah, I think EP? so. Yeah, because I, I could be wrong about all of this. Out. You guys probably are more than I. I have not Maybe. gone back to the record at this point. Well, so there's the O Tannenbaum record, which has Christmas cards. Yeah, which I was very excited <laughs> to talk to you about. That was that's, funny. That's one of those esoteric, obscure songs of theirs that even some fans Christmas cards are broken. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it was like Chris or stolen. Yeah, stolen. So, yeah. <laughs> Okay, why don't we jump right into that? I Let's think, get to the meat of this. Christmas I think, cards. I think the timeline <laughs> is that's the first thing you made with them, I think. Okay. Um, I'll take it. Maybe the most important song they've done. Yeah. All right, well, good, we, good. So we, yeah, yeah. we had a Christmas episode. All right. And we spent a while talking about Christmas cards because <laughs> it's a strange song that has not really... Um, there's not even a digital release of it, but it's really... There was an A and B side. Yeah, that, it was right? O-Tan and right. Bomb, which is J.D. Feinberg on drums. Uh-huh. So that's that, that's why that seems like the transition, because mm-hmm. that's... It's like early, literally you turn yeah, on the record and there's a and new it's guy. it's you now. <laughs> yeah, so it's kind of interesting. Boy, wow. I, I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. And his drums are great. That It's very soft, jazzy kind of drums. For, it's a mm-hmm. soft song. But uh, so Christmas cards, do you remember how that song came about? You know, it sounds improvised. I hope I have enough. Yes. <laughs> no, it was totally improvised. Yeah. And I think we were, I remember there was a studio. So we, we rehearsed at this one studio in Williamsburg, but there was another studio in Williamsburg that they really favored. It was called Excello okay. at the time. And it was kind of on the other side of Williamsburg. And I, I pretty I'm pretty sure that we just were playing some, we were actually like kind of jamming. Yeah. yeah. Playing some grooves and stuff, which we didn't do very often. <laughs> yeah. You know, and Flans kind of like just, <laughs> Flans, Flans is good for that kind of stuff. He's yeah. good. He's good for the riff, for that, just coming up with like <laughs> left field stuff like that, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, I distinctly remember him. Just like saying stuff like Christmas card, your Christmas cards are stolen. Yeah, you yeah. Know? And That's uh, we're all, all like laughing, words. like yeah. smiling at each other, like <laughs> what, 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 what the hell, what the, you know? And um, it's kind of like, and we just, we just kind of went, went with it. But who knew that? I mean, I don't think we did that with the intent of. Mm-hmm coming up with a B-side for a single. Oh, okay. Well, I don't That's what I was going to ask, you know, if there was something do, that needed to be filled. No, I do. I think <laughs> that we were, we actually were in the studio to record something. This is also another notion that we can circle back to. But in my opinion, and everything that I'm saying, by the way, in this podcast is my opinion or <laughs> oh, my yeah, perception. Sure. <laughs> so, but in my opinion, like the Giants, the Johns were very aware of like the fan base, giving them something, giving the fans something. So like, let's say that this was August, you know, let's say that we did Christmas cards in in August the Johns were very aware like this something like this should be out like in November the timeline the production timeline and stuff they were very aware of like getting stuff out to their fan base which is great you know so yeah but that's made it made it even more crazy that we were in flip-flops <laughs> and shorts and stuff like <laughs> plan, you know jamming to this and flan, flans is Plans of singing your Christmas cards are stolen. And then was it like, was that track like <laughs> That's built? That's when I realized like I'm playing with like a crazy genius thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was it like built upon or is that basically what we're hearing? Is that? I think, no, I think that I, <laughs> I think that that's what, 
that's just what we did. There's a few sour notes in there, yeah. <laughs> like if you listen to it. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think that they were okay. I mean, we were all okay with stuff like, you know, mistakes being heard. I don't know. I can't remember specifically if somebody went in afterwards to, to overdub a vocal or to a keyboard to part or whatever. Yeah. But no, I think... I think it's pretty much what what you hear is what you get for that. <laughs> I think that would be kind good. Of what made it cool? That'd be a good music video, you guys in flip flops and shorts. I know, right? Singing <laughs> about Christmas. Yeah, I'd like to see that. Why is there no music video for this song? I, there really, really I, well, should be. What we say in our show, like, it's weirdly catchy. Like I, we love <laughs> the song. It's not. It's no. Uh, it's not a lesser song in my view. I've always thought it was really <laughs> great. Like when I first became a fan, someone put it on a cassette for me. Right. And I didn't have any perception of this is this belongs here this belongs there i just had a bunch of songs on a cassette right so it grew on me the way any others like the way don't let start would yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah so it's kind of funny and then then i think it's why does the sunshine yeah, the yeah. ep because then that has a like a rough version of spy so it's not very it's not too rough just a yeah. slightly earlier version of spy so then and then john henry follows so yeah so why does the sunshine you play glockenspiel, glockenspiel yeah The sun is a mass of incandescent gas, a gigantic nuclear furnace, where hydrogen is built into helium at a temperature of millions of degrees. Which is really cool as, as you know, to listen to because it's you're hearing you come like the melodies. It's like a different thing. Yes. Like so, yeah. are you like were you? creating those melodies that you play on it? You know, I don't remember how we came up yeah. with my part, but I could say that like this, all of this came about, this is like, this is a total Flans move to, <laughs> because the glockenspiel was uh, the, the centerpiece of that song in the live show. Yeah. So it was like a moment where like the, a glockenspiel was set up. We, we made a big thing about it. It <laughs> yeah. was like it was front, front and center. Ladies and gentlemen, on this beautiful day, we would like to introduce to you, direct from Jersey City, our drummer performing on the glockenspiel, Mr. Brian Doherty. Perhaps the only professional glockenspiel player working in rock today. I would play a song. Shoehorn I mean, with teeth. Shoehorn right? with teeth. Yeah. I think that that's actually where it's really interesting that you brought it up because I think before Why Does the Sun Shine, yeah. I played it on shoehorn with teeth. Yeah, the one note. And I think it was, it's an yeah, a, it was like a I joke. Yeah, it was like so funny. The glockenspiel player, the drummer yeah. plays one note and everybody were like, cheer. Oh, yeah, people yeah, love it. it's great. <laughs> so, okay, yeah, the Why Does the... What, do you remember, like, it's a strange <laughs> release, the Why Does the Sun Shine EP. Yeah, you know, I... I in my opinion, I mean, I, I I don't know how that song came about, but mm -hmm. I definitely feel like, and I don't know where that who who wrote that song. That's a cover <laughs> of a song from a, an old record called Space Songs. Mm -hmm. It's an educational record, yeah. and they John and John performed that from the early '80s to the like they've been doing that their right. whole career because it's just there's something about it. I think that's funny to them. I'm not yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's where that came from. But the idea to to put it on record finally. Yeah. I mean, I could actually that does make sense. But. You know, I could. Now that you're telling me this, mm -hmm. I would 
Tony and I used to have a little joke between us that like Linnell would always run to back in the day when you had to buy newspapers, Mm -hmm. you know, Linnell would always run to the front desk of the hotel to pick up the New York Times on a Tuesday because it was science, the science (laughs) times. Oh, yeah. And that was really who he is. (laughs) Yeah. It's not like, I mean, I don't think a song like that came on. (laughs) I'm sure that they really just wanted to record it with a band. Yeah. Or or do it again five years later before they had done it. That's really, I think, all there is to it. Mm-hmm. It's like they really, really enjoy the song. And like later, song. later, I don't know how it came. I think it came in, in a live show, came about in a live show that we did, started to do like a faster punk, oh, yeah. punk yeah. punked out version of that. That's a great version. And, you know, Lynn Allen Flans, and I mean, we all kind of liked rock, rock and roll too. Yeah. So. I want to, that brings up a, a side thing, which is I, I do notice they, they're kind of averse to doing slow songs live. Like, they'll speed up songs, they'll... I've heard them say in interviews, like, they'll joke about the audience being asleep, or they're just (laughs) self-conscious about, like, they're not the kind of band that's going to do a ballad and kind of do this big spotlight ballad, emotional. It's... It, did that ever come up like like cutting out songs now oh, it's too slow that's, definitely yeah <laughs> yeah and i'll tell you that i mean <laughs> here's just one example and mm-hmm. i don't know if flans will remember this or not in the early days like and we would we would quite frankly we'd be a little anxious about songs and tempos and stuff yeah. so and it was i didn't carry on a metronome with me and i didn't check tempos before we actually started it was just like two one right. two three four and so, some nights the tempo would be spot on and some nights the tempo would be off or too too fast, too too slow. And I remember Flans telling me after one one show, like, you know, we should have some sort of symbol, like where if I feel like the song should be faster. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. like like for instance, <laughs> if you see me raising my eyebrows at you, <laughs> that funny. means faster. I think we tried that for a few shows, mm-hmm. but he seemed to always want want songs faster. We're gonna bring it all the way down. Here's another song from our upcoming record. We have to lower our, our metabolism for this one. The blood pressure's going down. So he was very, very hyper. He, he was hyper aware of making things entertaining for the audience. And, and Linnell, I think, you know, didn't really weigh in on it. And <laughs> yeah. as a drummer, I was always like coffeeed up or like amped up. So right. faster was always better for me. So, yeah, you know, that's funny. I mean, it's funny to me. Like I find their personalities funny and interesting because it's like, you know, a typical rock audience is it's like a slow song if it if it works yeah. if it's emotional oh. if it's powerful it's it's every bit it's as Ario Speedwagon yeah, yeah I mean it, play it. It, it could be your biggest memory from the show totally. going home in the car later you know we never had discussion about mm-hmm. um, or I was never part of the discussion sure you yeah. know because I, I to be honest with you I mean I was never I was never consulted about the set list mm-hmm. you know it seemed like Flans would make something you know it, I don't even know if Linnell before was insulted, the day, <laughs> consulted. Yeah, but before the day of uh, yeah. computer printouts and whatever, mm-hmm. it was always a Flans Sharpie on a, on a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. Right. And it would always be like Flans song, Linnell song, Flans song, Linnell song, back and <laughs> yeah. forth, back and forth. But yeah, I, I was never consulted about the about the set list. So I don't know what, what, the, what the thought behind it yeah. is, but it was always like, you know what? I mean, 
to their credit, they always wanted to put on a good show. So yeah. maybe some of that was, maybe that wasn't our, at least when I was in the band, maybe it wasn't one of our strong suits, like playing like, <laughs> playing like slow. Because if you play slow, you really have to do it with confidence. Mm-hmm. Yo, well, and I, you really have to all be doing it, at the, doing it correctly, mm-hmm. and, you know. The first time I thought about this, because me and my friend, we went to see Cracker. Oh, yeah. And half the show was slow. Yeah, big these seven minute slow songs, and we were we after the show we were talking, we we're like they might be giants. Never, it's so such a different. Though it's funny because you know Cracker like David Lowry's lyrics are every bit as as strange and artsy, and they're not exactly uh, normal lyrics in right. the way I would consider they might be giants lyrics. But for some reason, there I guess it's the musicality of the band. But they like one band feels confident doing that, another band just doesn't want to do that it's yeah. interesting to me you know it's something that i didn't really ever give too much thought to <laughs> i mean there were a couple and i don't know the name of the song mm, it was a flan song uh i'll sing it to you he sings something like when i walk down the street those guys extra savoir extra savoir fair yeah. <laughs> yeah and if i sound okay you can leave that bit in yeah <laughs> oh i have to um, leave that in but um but we did we did that song a lot, and that that song in the studio like had brushes and yeah. stuff. Yeah, and, yeah, I love, I love and, that. And um, tr- you know, muted trumpets and whatnot. But it was c- kind of our perception that it wasn't really going over live. You know, mm. the yeah. sandwich between like two Linnell songs. That, mm. that song would come wow. around, and all of a sudden everybody would stop, and <laughs> people in the front row would start like just like their smiles would. Melt. Go away, and they'd start yeah. like. I mean, they were listening and everything. No, but I, I totally get it. It was kind of one of those moments where, like, I don't know. We're, and now I, I won't play any of it. I know exactly <laughs> what you mean. I know what you mean. It's not. It's not saying the song is any less right. melodically or you know interesting. It's more. It's like an energy thing. Okay, so why does sunshine? Also on that EP was Jessica. The yeah, cover, which I, yeah. I always loved. There's a little story about that. So oh, sure. I'm, I'm a huge Almond Brothers fan. I mean, mm. I was actually like, uh, that's. If there's one genre of music that kind of got me, propelled me into playing music. I mean, I did talk about the Beatles, how Ringo got me into music, but like, Almond Brothers, Skinnerd, Molly Hatchet. I mean, the su- Southern rock genre really, really got me into re- really. Um, made me want to play music professionally and it's weird i mean i'm i'm probably the only one that'll ever go on record saying that (laughs) other than you know artemis Pyle, the drummer of leonard skinner but i'm a huge allman brothers fan and saw the when i was growing up saw the allman brothers like 10 12 times and i'm a huge dickie betts fan he was the guitar one of the guitar he was the second guitar player and after Dwayne allman died dickie betts stepped up to the plate and wrote ramblin man so the Allman Brothers didn't crumble. He really yeah. brought them up and like gave them their first number one hit. So he wrote Jessica. Mm-hmm. He wrote the song Je- Jessica. And there was talk between us. We were thinking about get, trying to get Dickie Betts oh, to wow. play. Because oh, wow. <laughs> I remember Linnell telling me at one of the sessions, like, you know, Dickie and Greg Allman have heard this song and they really like it. Mm. And I said, so why, why can't we get Dickie to play on it? <laughs> yeah. And that would have been like, 
amazing for me. You know, selfishly, yeah. I want Dickie Betts to play. And um, I know that they that they reached out to him, and he may have been interested. I don't, I don't know what 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 his response was, but around that time, he was arrested for some for something. Oh for no. Some sort of, <laughs> Family violence or something, spousal abuse. So that was definitely a no, a no go. <laughs> oh, but that was, yeah. I, I remember there was a lot of conversation about trying to get Dickie Betts on this record. So was there anything else on uh, uh, Why yeah, is the I'm Sunshine? Why does the sunshine? <laughs> there was, so you there said was Jessica. Uh, what else just, was on? Well, that? so then there's Whirlpool, which you're not on. There's no okay. drums on it. Uh, I though I, I love it. I don't remember that song. To be it's a Meat Puppets cover. Okay. Another and cover. It's, it's, there's another connection because I think for a bit. Jamie Kitman managed the meat puppets as well. Oh, sure. So, <laughs> so it's all it was like always product a placement. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. I never would have thought that. So gearing up to do John Henry, like what were those days like in terms of like talking about we're gonna make an album together yeah. kind of thing? Like we did a lot of dates, a lot of a lot of gigs mm. before before John Henry. And I felt like we were we were playing together as a band nicely. Yeah. And yeah, it was good. We we, I don't know where we did where we did gigs, but we there was a lot of gigs to be done. And I remember there was a su- a summer went by, and there was a lot of outdoor festivals and stuff playing, and it was exciting. It was great. It was great for me. This was like the first band that I've ever played with that like actually had people that were buying tickets. You know, <laughs> the Giants were always good. Like you could, we could play any club in any city and there'd always be 900 to 1,000 people there. Like any big club, yeah. you know? This, like you would like, look at a place and go like, ah, oh, this place is a dump. And then before you know <laughs> it, there'd be 900 people there. <laughs> Seriously. So no, it was exciting. I remember Flans telling me that they were considering a guy named Paul Fox to produce yeah. to produce John Henry. I had no idea who Paul Fox was. I knew Oranges and Lemons, but I didn't yes. know <laughs> I didn't know Paul's association with with XTC. And I remember Flans like had something like the Zoom here, mm-hmm. or, like a portable recorder, and we started recording little snippets. I remember he had he and I spent some time like demoing riffs to like meet James, meet James Ensor. Yeah, you know, so because he wanted to hear how brushes sounded, how oh, yeah. sticks sounded, how you know, I think I used these like rods. Um, I wanted these, to ask these, you these about that song rods. specifically because yeah. your drums, the drums on that are crazy. Yeah. She ate the man before there were junk stores. I think, you know, a lot of that was Flans, Flans mm. wanting, Flans, Flans was, you know, Flans had a good influence on, on, on my drum tracks. Mm. Oh, okay. Um, because he always, well, he didn't think like a drummer and he always wanted something <laughs> like more exciting. Can you give, can you make it more exciting? Can you, but so he didn't know how to tell, how to communicate with me drumistically. So it was kind of my job to kind of come up yeah. with. And so that's that's one of those moments where we're like, yeah, we, we tried out some things. And I think that he, that was one of the things that, because that, that's a Flan song. So I don't think oh, Linnell, yeah. I think he and I probably demoed that by ourselves. Oh, okay. And he sent off a bunch of stuff to Paul Fox. And, and then that was the last I heard about any of that hmm. until, you know, October or November of that year. And till when they announced that, yeah, we're going to do a record with this guy, Paul Fox. So I guess all the while they had been communicating with Paul about 
the demos and the songs and they had been selecting stuff to record and whatnot. So, yeah, it was very, very exciting. There was a lot of live shows. There was a lot of new music to yeah. play at shows. And maybe, you know, Meet James Ensor was one of, one, of the, one of the tunes. And, yeah, but before you knew it, we were, we were up at Bearsville Studios in Woodstock, New York. And which was a great experience. I mean, I mean, I could I could set the stage for your for your audience. Be- sure, yeah. So we, Bearsville is this kind of like, well, it's got a couple. It had a couple recording studios. It had living facilities. It had, you know, like a horse stable. It oh, had wow. a barn. It had. It was a really really beautiful. I mean, a lot of bands had recorded there too, before us over the years, including Todd Rundgren recorded a bunch of his yeah. stuff stuff there. I think he recorded the entire Hello, It's Me. Or the something anything mm-hmm. albums there, and um, so we went up to live. You know, we were we, we were going to go up. We were going to live up there yeah. for like five <laughs> weeks and wow. track. And it was I think we were going to do like one or two weeks of pre production of just of just rehearsal. So we weren't going to go into the main studio. We were going to go into what what was called the barn, which is like a great by anybody's standards, like amazing recording mm-hmm. studio, like a renovated barn. And um, we went in just the four of us with a production assistant. We just started started rehearsing. And the idea was we went up there, we brought, we drove our cars up there. We brought all our stuff. We, I, at the time I had a, I had a dog named Chelsea uh-huh. with me, not Lexi who's with us now, but Chelsea. So Chelsea came up with me mm-hmm. and, you know, we all kind of moved in, right. you know, this was yeah. going to be cool. Summer and camp. It, yeah. But, but it was, it was, this was like early January and it was like winter camp. Tons, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Winter camp. Tons, tons and tons of snow. Wow. It was just like snow, which kind of made it cool because like all you had to do was walk from the house that you were staying in, you know, across the way to, mm-hmm. to the barn for rehearsal. Yeah. But I think the idea was that Paul Fox was going to be with us during these rehearsals and when we showed up and we set up and we were ready to rehearse Paul had come in from LA but had gotten sick oh okay. so even though he was there yeah we never met Paul Fox until like 10 days in <laughs> wow like, he was actually like staying upstairs the entire time he was so ill that you know he didn't wow. want you know he he didn't meet anybody he didn't eat with us he didn't so he was literally like 30 feet from us the entire time we didn't meet him for like 10 days it made it made it made it kind of weird yeah yeah like Howard Hughes (laughs) and um we didn't have solid direction oh sure all the time yeah yeah so we just rehearsed our songs like you know the 14 or 20 songs that we were going to record for John Henry and then on like the 11th day Paul Fox showed up Okay. And he was all better from the flu or whatever. So, and then that's when he, you know, he took notes on everything that we did. And at times he was the fly in the wall. He just listened for like hours at a time. Mm-hmm. And at other times he would, you know, really, really step in and like kind of challenge, challenge do you, everybody. Do you remember an example of Absolutely. That? You know, he, oh, wow. well, it's tough to challenge John Linnell. <laughs> oh, really? You know, because musically, yeah, there were, I mean, so I will, I will answer your question, but I yeah. remember there was one part where, I think Paul was Paul was trying to make a song, was trying to give us suggestions to make a song better. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you the name of the song right now because I, I can't remember yeah. what it was. <laughs> and um, Linnell was just like listening very, very patiently. That's like like three minutes of this. And like all the while, like knowing that he just processing all this, going like, I know exactly what I'm going to do. Yeah. You know? sure. And so he was like, <laughs> yeah. oh, you mean like this? And he just like 
I mean, he was playing Hammond organ in the, okay. in, in the studio and like totally like set the song straight or like added the bridge or whatever, whatever was needed. Mm-hmm. So you knew that Linnell was such a standalone. He didn't really need anybody. Interesting. To, you know, he's listening politely and stuff, but yeah, Paul Fox challenged, challenged me a lot. Me and, oh, me, really? me and Tony. Yeah. It was, um, and maybe that was that he felt more conf- confident giving Tony and I criticism then Flans and Linnell because oh, sure. they were the you know it was me and Tony who are you going to give criticism to Flans yeah. and Linnell or me and Tony <laughs> yeah and um, no but I was I was totally open to it you know mm-hmm. a lot of it was uh, he would challenge me to just like come up with more creative fills to be more assertive I mean it's hard to give you concrete examples I, I mean I feel like that's, I have a few that's concrete enough in my, yeah I have a few in my head that are particularly standout drum parts on that album well I'll tell you um. What's the song? Is it called "Self Called Nowhere"? Yeah. What's the song? Is that is that is that the song? Yeah, it's a, a, a self called nowhere. A yeah. self called nowhere, <laughs> and that we we had rehearsed a bunch, and I feel like it was it was my feeling like it wasn't really there, you mm-hmm. know, when we were, and then but we recorded it anyway, and mm-hmm. that was one of the moments where like at the end it is very drumistic, mm-hmm. I feel, mm-hmm. and. Um, that was we just did take after take after take, and that was just like at the end. I remember just thinking like, "Fuck everybody! I'm gonna I'm gonna black everybody out, mm. and I'm going to." And you could literally dial everybody out of your mix if you wanted, mm-hmm. and I kind of just like to- totally went went for it, you know. Yeah. And and then I remember that take being done, and I could see Paul Fox's hand like up <laughs> through the control, you know, <laughs> up through the glass, you know, because he would stick up his hand, which meant like everybody shut the fuck up. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Don't ruin this take. And that that meant it was a good take. That was kind of a moment where, and I think that that came out of Paul's challenging, cha- challenging me. And it was, it was always a good challenge. It was never like, mm-hmm. you suck. I'm, cha- I'm going to challenge you. Why are you doing this or that? It was always like, this is awesome, but you could, I know you can make it better. And yeah. at one point in the rehearsals, I, I mean, I, I took this as a great compliment. Mm-hmm. He, he said, you know what, Doherty? I think you're like, you're like the New York version of Pat Mastelotto. And Pat, Pat had played drums on Oranges and Lemons. Oh, sure. Okay. And so Pat and Paul were great friends and Pat had great, great respect for, Paul had great respect for Pat's drumming. Mm-hmm. And so I took that as like, holy shit, this guy thinks I'm like, you know, wow. just as good, as good as the other guy. Wow. <laughs> you know? So yeah, but a, lo- a lot of good stuff came, came out of that. A self-called nowhere has this like heaviness to it. Like yes. it's the musically. And I think a lot of that is the drums. There's kind of like a more than the other songs on an album. It's like kind of got this ominous, like, you know. Well, because like of the dynamics, weight. it's so quiet. And then yeah. you have these huge fills coming yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's, that's, that's a, that, that's a typical Linnell song. I mean, that's, that's, that's a Linnell. I don't know. I like, I like that side of John Linnell, you know, <laughs> kind of like dark, mm-hmm. um, you know, he's sitting by himself kind of yeah, <laughs> songs, yeah. you know, thinking by myself. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> But also, yeah, if, if we could if we could talk about this for a moment, sure. Because a, a lot of these songs that came to me, mm-hmm. that came from Linnell, he would have specific drum stuff oh, really? pro- programmed already. Pretty much, if the stuff is coming from Linnell, I, I'm like, 
you know, that's it. <laughs> it's like, okay, this, yeah. is, this is what you want me to play? Okay, mm-hmm. I'll is, play it. So is, is that a distinction between the two? Was Flans more open to Yeah, so Flans and I playing? would work on Meet James Ensor, for instance, and yeah. Linnell was more like, oh, I recorded this song last night. Here it is. <laughs> yeah. And I'd be like, oh, I, okay, I get it. And I would play pretty much... Yeah. <laughs> what you know? I'd, I'd add embellishment. So, for instance, "Self Called mm. Nowhere," the fills at the end were, were yeah. all mine. Sure. But you know that that was me stepping out. So there were moments where I could step out. That's so interesting. Yeah, they they've shared they share demos to the fans a lot, and the Linnell demos are, they sound like finished songs. Yeah, totally, and totally incredible. The Flansburg ones are a little more rough and everything. Yes. One other song on John Henry that is like really amazing drums is "Out of Jail." Do you remember that? Vaguely, um, yeah. <laughs> but the verses are just nonstop it's fills. snare drums. Yeah, it's crazy. It's like, so like, did that come about? Like, was that that extra push from Paul Fox? No, I think that that was that was one of the Flans moments where where he you know he was always looking for like, well, how how do we make this more interesting, exciting, yeah, more rhythmic, and. I think that he, for that one, he may have even come up with that little riff. Oh, really? And so I was just executing his vision for that. So that's a good example just to support support what we were talking about earlier about how Flans like meet James Ensor and yeah. this song. was always looking for like something something a little more in, intriguing for the drums which was cool mm-hmm. so you know instead of being yeah. like oh just play two and four on this you know <laughs> he wanted he wanted the drummer to be be more participatory or something you know yeah those, um, those drums make that song stand out yeah that's yeah, the cool. thing it's not I don't yeah. know if it's a fan favorite they might be giant song it kind of is hidden on John Henry towards the end well it's like number 18 they never play it live yeah. <laughs> yeah it's just one of those kind of forgotten songs but the one thing you could say about it is the drums very are, distinct like drum. when I was um, 16 or 17 and listening it, it was one of the first times I noticed drums on it like really took notice of what drums were doing in a song right from all the albums that i had so i like that one really did stand out yeah no that's i i don't remember recording that song but mm-hmm. i definitely know that that was a push from flans and i wouldn't say that that was paul fox's influence mm. I, I would say that that was flans but doing like come on let's do, do something more yeah Fl- flans always wanted more better yeah thing. sure that was his kind of approach <laughs> is there any other um songs on the john henry or the sessions for john henry stuff that didn't show up on it that are stick out in your mind what was the first song okay in, so subliminal subliminal so i could talk about subliminal yeah we we did a few versions of a few demos of that song mm-hmm. and i remember dri- driving to a, a session mm-hmm. one day because we were going to do the demo at excello in brooklyn and hearing message of love by the pretenders it's, there's clearly two drum tracks, and it's mm-hmm. the same like doom, ga ga, that, doom, yeah. ga da And you mean da. in like the right and left? Yeah, no, it's just clear. I don't know if they panned them right and left, but mm-hmm. there's clear that there's, you know, the drummer recorded himself twice. Mm. When love walks in the room, everybody stand up. Like Brigitte Bardot 
I don't know why, but I was like, I want to try this for subliminal. So we ended up doing it. I remember, um, yeah, I, I pitched it to Flans and we listened to Message of Love together. Oh, cool. And I remember him telling me, this is a great idea. Just don't tell Linnell that, <laughs> that this was inspired by a Pretender song. <laughs> and I don't know why, but... That's funny. But, so when I pitched it to Linnell, mm-hmm. uh, he, seemed, he seemed to like it. And then when we did it in the studio to execute it, you know, drummers out there, mate, if you ever do this, to try and explain to somebody that you need to an, another, that you need another eight tracks to record a second drum part yeah. over, over <laughs> your first drum part... A lot of times, engineers and producers are like, "No one does that. You shouldn't do that. Why?" So you kind of have to just you just have to say, "Calm down. Every take take a breath. This is gonna be great." So long story short is that I recorded two drum tracks on that song. So mm-hmm. if you go back and listen to it now, yeah, you'll hear that 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 it's me twice. Yeah, there's two drum set players playing. It's almost like a band with two drummers. I was gonna you know? say, is that why that that beginning when the drums first come in, it it has sort of a march feel to it like it has a bigger there's a feel little to of a it. Flare. there's flams yeah. going on flams. There. yeah because <laughs> yeah. because it just happens nat- nat- naturally and there's parts where i'm mm-hmm. feeling over over you know the other drummer playing playing a groove so i don't know i don't know why i mean i hope it sounds musical but oh, it, yeah. it was just yeah. one of those <laughs> things where just like this song could benefit from two drum tracks so mm-hmm. that's one thing that stood out It's the lyrical, the thematic quality too, because yeah. the idea of like the subliminal is that there's something under the thing. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This is See? what we do on the show. See, I never, <laughs> I never put that together. Yeah, but yeah. yeah. Well, what I like about what we try to, what we talk about is we're not saying these things are thought out and intentional. We just think it's kind of like just the art gods. Like it just happens. Yes. And it's fascinating. Yeah. You know, like that's what's one of my favorite things about film music is just when things just work in a weird way. You know, yeah. There's no such thing as coincidence. Yes, to, to, totally. That's <laughs> su- such an awesome riff. And he's, by, by the way, he's like an awesome accordion player. Yeah. He's yeah, a yeah. killer, killer record, uh, accordion player and uh, totally rocks out on it. You know, we, we talk <laughs> yeah. about that. He doesn't show his prowess on the accordion as much. Yeah, there's not a lot of showing off. Um, but when he does, it's incredibly it's like... <laughs> uh, impressive. It's really, really good. Yeah. I have the track list here. Yeah, well, so next is Snail Shell. Yeah, and I, well, the drum part in that song is super prominent because that's that, the verses are just voice and drums. Yeah, just so it's almost like they're really showing the world we we're making an album with a band yeah. now. Like those yeah. first two songs are all so because subliminal is interesting because it starts with accordion mm-hmm. and then drums come in and yeah. then guitar comes in and then bass comes in. So right. it's it's introducing the band to yeah, you yeah, yeah. gradually. Very, very cool. Yeah. yeah. And then a snail shell follows that up with, it's just, if it was a drum machine, I don't think it would have the same yeah. feel. Yes. You and know, the bass just too. voice and drums, you know? Yeah. And the, the, the slap there's bass. a bass solo. Yeah. 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 Tom, so they're really, awesome it's playing. like they're yeah. writing for the fact that they have a band, they, which changes your songwriting. They totally wanted to showcase the fact that they're working with two Mm-hmm. live musicians right. and they weren't running away from it and um 
not not that they would want to run away from it, but but yeah, I, but yeah. I guess I mean if you had recorded with electronic components up to that time, I guess I mean they they were stepping into this other realm, like mm-hmm. full full on without yeah. any trepidation, mm-hmm. and um, so the drums on Snail Shell until there's one drum solo part, which are the yeah. drums are c- kind of processed, mm. which is like. Some, the snare some has very, this interesting sound, yeah, to it, but I can't really figure but, it out. But really, that's <laughs> that's like an acoustic drum set, like mm-hmm. with some mics and no no triggering, no processing or anything. I, I remember it's a very high pitched snare drum we, mm-hmm. we picked out. Sir, hand, ma'am. I fell out of my right place again, and you considered me, and now I'm where a snail has to be. And that's kind of it. So it's just mm-hmm. me and Linnell playing, playing those moments. Like, Sahan. I used oh, when I was man? younger. I used to practice the kick snare pattern because yeah. <laughs> it's very specific. It's like, yeah, yeah. Go Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's interesting pauses in it. I probably got that directly from a Linnell oh, really? demo. You know, <laughs> that's where, funny. where that's exactly <laughs> what he did. Yeah. In it, so it's very um, specific. Yeah. And. Um, yeah, so t- Tony gets featured there. Yeah, and yeah, he sounds great. Tony's playing with a pick there, which, I, which and even I love. Flansburg gets the get, there's a guitar. He's like yes. scraping the guitar yeah. at one part. It's very, yeah, it's like celebrating all yeah. the members. Of yeah, the it really, band really is. That song. I don't want to speak for anybody else, but mm. I think it was my impression that we all thought that this was going to be like their single. Yeah, I wanted from, to talk about that from the John Henry <laughs> record. Like this is going to be it, you know. And I guess that they that they probably thought so as well because that was the first video or I have, was the I only wanted, yeah. video. So we can talk about the video too. Yeah, <laughs> but um, we felt that that was very characteristically Linnell, mm-hmm. you know, and and that and that this was going to be a single on the record, like, and this was going to be a hit. Yeah, it's a fascinating choice because there's other songs on John Henry that are, I don't know, maybe there's more of like a melodic, like like classic kind of TMBG melody going on. And Snail Shell is a little more robotic and kind of yeah. strange. But there is something. I had a coworker once that that was the only song he knew. Really? <laughs> wow. Because I would mention the Giants. He'd be like, Snail Shell. <laughs> so some, it worked on some people. Well, yeah. well, I just think John Henry has so many strong songs. I don't know how yeah, you can yeah. pick. It really does, um, yeah. And it's, it, I mean, I guess we're, we're giving up the ghost here, but this is our favorite album. Yeah, John so. <laughs> Henry has always been my favorite. Um, it's hard to say exactly why. It's not so much it's like the songwriting, it's like the feel of the album. Yeah, yeah, I agree. There's just a certain resonance to it that when I put it on, I actually kind of, I feel like as a more than their other albums, when I put it on, I feel like I'm in a, a new place in my, yeah. like, mentally... Like because there's, there's a, a certain, to it. yeah there's a it's, there's a familiarity there's a, a warmth that invites consistency. you in. I can attribute some of that to we were all together we were tracking yeah. together we were rehearsing together yeah we were for a good part we were there for each other's overdubs um, yeah we were we were working as a unit it was really the four of us Paul Fox and um, our engineer Ed Thacker so Paul and Ed were partners at the, at that point and Ed was awesome is an awesome engineer and. Um, we just had we had a lot of light, it was like very lighthearted. We were like <laughs> by that point we were all friends. T- Tony and I. I mean, I know that at some point in our conversation, I had I had listed travels with Tony. Yeah, something yeah. I, I wanted to talk about. But Tony and I were titles. like like fast friends. We were mm-hmm. like we were so the two Johns when the two Johns would go off and do their own thing, go do their business. Tony and I were left 
to our own devices. So we, <laughs> yeah. you know, we we became great, great friends. So, um, so yeah, that was it was an awesome, awesome time to be. So hopefully, what what you're hearing in that yeah. in the songs and and of that record are part part partly due to the fact that we were really living like in like an awesome time, you know. Yeah, like there's something about it. Because it's like the earlier and, and later albums, it's, it feels like they're trying to get your attention constantly in every song. Whereas John Henry almost feels like there's this comfort of like, we're just going to play this song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, like a, it's like a weird thing because I don't mean to imply that I obviously are like one of my favorite bands ever. Like I love all the stuff. But there's something about that album that feels less intrusive into your attention and more about just like chilling out and listening. Like it's the only one I could put on at a party. Right. <laughs> yeah. Is it, you know, yeah. that's I, the it's best an inviting way. album. Yeah. And it's the <laughs> one that I, I, if I'm trying to get someone into, they might be giants. It's probably the first one I would go to maybe like birdhouse or something. Yeah. Cause it's a classic. Everybody's but, heard that song. But yeah. so, where if it's someone who like is more into rock music and bands and stuff. That's I, the other thing I, too. I it's a rock to, album, yeah. you know, and it's, Exactly. There's just, yeah, and there's like a, and also because it's, it's right, it's a few years before the digital takeover yes. of everything. Yes. I really, me and our, our friend Daniel talk about this a lot with John Henry and, and also their factory showroom. There's a warmth to the sounds and there's a, a meat to the sound that their later albums, as they sound good in other ways, but there's not that feeling to it. Well, they were, in addition to all the other things we talked about, they were both those albums were recorded on two-inch tape. I mean, they're exactly. all recorded to analog tape and yeah. mixed to half-inch. Yeah. Wow. And uh, I'm sure there was some automation, but I don't think we used any any digital editing was used or anything. Yeah. So um, there was a warmth, warmth all around. Real drums in a in a in a live room. I mean, very very little editing as far as like punching takes. I, I don't think we edited takes together at all. So yeah, I mean. It's good. It's good to hear. Not to get technical. Do you remember where there are a lot of room mics picking up the drums? Like, yes, <laughs> I remember. So at Bearsville, there's one in the studio that we were in. We were in like the the main studio, mm-hmm. you know. And there's like a huge room. Yeah, it's a big, big, big room. And yeah, the drums were against one wall and was par- partly gobo'd off, close mm-hmm. mic'd But there were several room mics, se- several ambient mics. But I will say, if you want to talk about drums for a second, mm. that was they. We spent a lot of time on the drums, just on the drums. We had a a great drum tech come come up to work with us to tune the drums. He was there for every session, every recording, every take, and um, he would change the heads. He would tune drums differently. He brought up snare drums, like a whole road case of like you know 10 20 snare drums my cymbal company pasty to like give us cymbals to (laughs) to try out different sounds and so on they sent us like boxes of cymbals and so we really we really tried to come up with good drum sounds without trying to be too too creative or too clever for ourselves yeah it's we 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 made a great effort to have the drum sound great on mm-hmm. that record so yeah it definitely comes across um do you want to talk about the snail shell music yeah. video oh yeah yeah, yeah totally totally <laughs> so it was my feeling that even though there was a music vid- video scheduled because mm-hmm. i remember it was the summertime let's say it was august i don't remember if it was august or not could have been july they had tony and i put put this video shoot on our calendar mm-hmm. like to hold it and then as the date approached there was nothing discussed like <laughs> nobody mentioned anything and I didn't bring it up and I don't think Tony did either yeah. and then um, like let's say 
was supposed to happen that Saturday. Mm-hmm. On Tuesday, I had heard that the two Johns had left for Berlin. Yeah. To go shoot the video. And um, I thought, oh, okay. All right. Well, I guess somebody would be calling me soon <laughs> oh my to, like, tell me that I'll be in the video. And uh, no, nobody called at all. And there was wow. just silence. And in hindsight, you know what? This might have been... This might have been on purpose because, to be honest with you, it may have, well, it may have not cost them anything to fly us over, but it may have, it could have just been the two of them or the two of them with two other musicians. No one would have noticed. I mean, really, like, who would have, who would have really cared or noticed? But, but, um, no one, in short, in short, no one, no one, no one was making an effort to get me a ticket or anything. And, sure. and um, so the Friday before the, before the shoot, before the Saturday, I remember calling the office at like five o'clock and there was an intern still there. I say, Hey, uh, am I going to Berlin tomorrow <laughs> for, the, for this video shoot? He's like, I know nothing about this video shoot. And short story is, is that basically we, he and I booked tickets mm-hmm. for me and Tony right there on the spot. I mean, wow. I didn't pay for him, but he was like, hold on, I'll call, I'll call the airline. And I called Tony and I said, Tony, we're going to Berlin tomorrow to shoot this video. And, and we showed up in Berlin <laughs> and no one said anything like, oh, like, nice to see you. Or it, was, it was almost like, oh, okay, let's go and shoot this. So I, to this day, I couldn't, I can't figure out if it was How intentional, weird. Yeah. If it was intentional <laughs> or if it was, or if it was just like, I don't know. It's like a like a weird thing. You would think that yeah. that they planned on having the full band there, you know? Yeah, because um, it's the whole. I mean, gimmick's the wrong word, but the whole thing of the album was that yes. this is our first album with a band. Yes. <laughs> so you would think. Yeah. So to talk a little more about that video. So after yeah. that was over and we showed up in Berlin, then we drove to East Berlin, and at that point, this was the '90s, so East Berlin was still kind of like you know, the Soviet bloc or whatever. Yeah. It was like very, very weird. And they had this crazy location that was like an ex television, you know, like a Soviet style television studio that we were going to shoot in. I think it was actually a museum, okay. like, like their, their television museum. And they had this director <laughs> mm-hmm. for, for the video. And we had this, I didn't even know what the concept was until the day of, and somebody asked us to wear certain things and <laughs> turtlenecks, and, uh, turtlenecks the kind and, of snail colored yes. turtlenecks. I would describe and, um, <laughs> really all I remember is like, we did, we did takes of the song and the director, I don't know. I got a little worried when the director just kept, he had really no const- in my opinion, yeah, he had yeah. no, no constructive, <laughs> nothing constructive to like, tell the band or like, yeah. move this way or move that way or here here's our vision so i want to see the band doing blah 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 mm-hmm. blah it was more like play more close your eyes more lift the sticks <laughs> higher yeah and, and at one point he was just asking me to like i want you to just close your eyes i can see everything and it, it really in the video. like yeah. Yeah. so like in the video <laughs> you, my eyes are closed the entire time and when you're seeing it you're like why doesn't this guy why can't this guy open his eyes yeah i, I was expressly told to like keep my eyes closed. Yeah, exactly. That's but, so funny. But when you think about it, it's like, why? For what reason? I mean, um, it was really no... I mean, I guess he had no other juice, you know? <laughs> Nothing else to go on. I think this has been echoed by John and John in interviews. Yeah? They've talked about this video being very yeah, awkward for I feel for like them. I remember reading that, Yeah, too. They, they've said... I, my brain is kind of an encyclopedia of, like, interviews. <laughs> but they, they've said that they were just... They weren't as in control of the videos as usual. Yeah. Because yeah. the ones before for previous albums, Landsberg directed or yes. 
or essentially co-directed. I would yeah. I would say. No, Flansburg is a director, so yeah. you know he he's done a lot of a lot of directing. Yeah, I could. What was the in hindsight? Reason? Yeah, I, I don't know, but I, <laughs> why I, I didn't Berlin, know it. Like why? at the time, I wasn't aware of all the all this stuff going. But yeah. knowing what I know now, like I don't know how Flans led it. I mean, how could you sit back? That's and, what I mean. Yeah, and not. So I don't know what their agreement was, or maybe Flans was just trying this this one time. Mm, yeah, you know to to let it go. I do remember there's a point in the video where like the a guy's like hooked up to like electrodes or you know he's like hooked up to this EKG stuff like to all see if his... that stayed in. Is that it? I'm yeah, I think to it, I think so. But <laughs> he has hair in the video, but part of the video was supposed to be the viewer seeing the doctor shaving his, oh, okay. shaving the hair off of his head. And, and I think the guy started crying during the shoot, like, nah, I changed my mind. I, <laughs> I really don't want my head shaved during the shoot. And then therefore no one gets their head shaved in that video. But I, re- yeah. I remember thinking like, holy shit, I want to, I want to come back and see this. Some, some guy's going to get his head shaved. I got to yeah. see this. And, it was a letdown. I didn't yeah. get to see anybody get their, get their head shaved. Yeah, the video feels a little out of character. When you watch all their videos on, like, their DVD they put out, it, it stands out strangely. Yeah, I think, you know, I could be wrong, but I think that that's the only video that I'm in ever. Mm. Like, the only music video that I'm in of theirs. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of kind of stinks because... <laughs> Again, I just re- remember being told, like, close your eyes, lift the sticks higher. I'm, All right, well, so it was a little, I, I got a little worried, like, oh, my God, yeah. how good is this video going to be? So I'm worried it'll take too long to, like, go, like, talk track by track, but we'll name more tracks sure, on the album. And if, yeah. you, if you don't have anything, just say you don't sure, have anything. So next is Sleeping, I don't even they need to look. Next oh, is sleeping, sorry. In flowers, yeah. <laughs> sleeping in the Flowers is one yeah. of my favorites. I didn't um, either, okay. Flan <laughs> song, yeah. Yeah, so, any, um, any thoughts on that Yeah, song? no, we, again, we, we worked that song up, and that's, you know, in my opinion, that's Flans like having like the slower part, yeah, and then the faster part. So he kind of liked that getting getting more and more exciting, and mm-hmm. he, there's somewhat of a boogaloo drum beat, a little like crazy drum drum fills in that, and um, that's that song has horns in yeah, it. Yeah, great horns. It's a so, huge yeah. production. Yeah, so. Yeah, I think he was very, very proud of that song, as he should be. You know, and it was but like the, the second time. single, I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was. You're absolutely right. But yeah, yeah. I would have been. I always thought it'd be cool if there was a video or something for that. But it. Yeah, <laughs> there was it. no. You know what? Not to get off tr- topic, but after once that album, as soon as that album was was released, I think everybody knew that that the record company was not behind that album yeah, and I could be wrong so Flans and Linnell if you're listening no they've then, so, they've sort of implied that yeah too. the plug was pulled on that record it's and, the best and album we were, <laughs> and, we, and we were on tour Says at the time I. so we, we started touring already like let's yeah. say the album was out in you know I don't know when it came out but you know in, in September we were we were touring f- to packed houses but knowing that the record company was not going to promote that record under any circumstance you know so yeah so that's <laughs> yeah. so Flan, no flans flans worked very very hard on that song getting getting that song um the right mixture of slow and fast and i remember rehearsing that song and yeah. playing it live i mean so a lot of the, a lot of the process yeah would be rehearsing the songs or, or getting the demos rehearsing and then if there was a gig coming up we would try these songs out live mm. you know and um yeah that was again that was a, that's a classic 
that one sticks out as a classic Flan song yeah, in my I mind. Agree. You know, it's definitely up there. And a lot of the songs, it's sort of well, subliminal starts. There's a lot of songs about like car crashes. Wow, I ne- I never realized that. Wow. Yeah, subliminal. Is it, I don't know. Did, do you think that was that that was never spoken about or not to my knowledge? <laughs> yeah. No, no, never. Nobody ever. You know, I don't. <laughs> they they never. Did drafts of lyrics in front of me, mm, so yeah, I'd ever, yeah. I never—I don't know if they ever did them together. Do they ever talk about their lyrics in front of me? <laughs> no, no. You know what? I and Linnell. I mean, I would have loved to ask Linnell about no, what is I, this. I what is that? I mean, I would never be <laughs> yeah. at dinner of like asking him. So anyway, I don't. What yeah. is this song? You know, because. You think you they just don't like, do that? Yeah, right. Yeah, sure, it's, it's not professional. That's what Bill so, told us. That's what everyone mm-hmm. yeah. told us. So and you know and once you and and once I felt like I was knowing Linnell and Flans and kind mm-hmm. of their their friend, I, I, I just, that's just Linnell or that's just Flans. See, that's so, interesting you know. to me because uh, we've also asked we asked Bill a similar thing about like is there some some ways that you can tie their personality. In, from knowing them into the lyrics because like to to I think a, an outside listener the, the lyrics are so some of them are so strange or enigmatic <laughs> and but then like once you know the person suddenly the, the strangeness kind of goes away and you, right it's just part yeah. and parcel of their, yeah. their well, personality the science times thing would be a great yeah. example of <laughs> yeah, how yeah, Linnell right. was because he's that's his genuinely he's genuinely he was interested in science yeah you know um, the other thing is I, I mean it was I, I would say that they're very well read. I mean, so they very, very knowledgeable, very, very educated. Hmm. I mean, far, hmm. far beyond me at that point. So <laughs> yeah. they were, they were, you know, I had no idea who James Ensor was, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. I was, that was just a drum pattern I was playing right. to a yeah, song, yeah, yeah. you know? It's, so, um, yeah, yeah the they, internet wasn't around. Exactly. So you had to actually like buy books about these. So they books. were, they were far, they were well beyond me in terms of, you know, all that kind of stuff. So in terms of their personality, yeah, I think that they both had their quirks, yeah. you know, and, and I appreciated what I, whatever they gave mm-hmm. uh, to, to the band, I, I really appreciated. And when we got AKA Driver. Yeah, I want to talk okay, to you yeah, about yeah. AKA lot, Driver and Nightfall Driver because you're credited. Yeah. That's like the one song yeah. on that album where everyone is credited. Yes. So I assume that comes came out of some sort of a jam or something. I'll tell you that that was, it came out of a live show that we did somewhere. I right. forget mm. where, where we just... And That's Flans, the legend. And, and Flans would do yeah. it. <laughs> Flans would kind of do this, like have a, say a word, express a phrase, mm-hmm. like improvisationally where where the band would me and T- Tony and I and Linnell would like start to back him up on it <laughs> yeah. so he was actually telling he was imploring the audience to come see us tomorrow oh you know, okay at this other gig and he was just saying it's just a full day's drive away <laughs> what the fuck you should totally come to see yeah, it yeah. you're only gonna drive like 10-12 hours <laughs> and I remember we did. We just played like this riff behind him. It wasn't anything like what you're hearing on the record. <laughs> yeah, but it was just funny, and we had a lot of funny. I can't. I probably will never re- remember another instance for the mm-hmm. for the record for this for this podcast. But there were a lot of those moments where Flans mm-hmm. would come up with or Linnell would come up with something like that, and we would just go with it. Yeah, and become the band to support it. That was exactly what happened. And we were just laughing. It was just really, really, really funny. And then a couple of days later, like when we were home, Flan said, you know, we, sh- we should record that song. Wow. And, I, and 
you know, to his credit, I didn't. I guess I didn't thank him enough then, and I should thank him now. Thank you, John Flansburg, because <laughs> yeah. he he didn't have to include. He didn't yeah. have to. He didn't have to initiate something with. He already had songs with Linnell. Yeah, right. That he didn't need, and this is just being truthful. He didn't need need me or Tony to come <laughs> up with songs, but he wanted yeah. to be inclusive, and in that comes with publish comes publishing yeah. royalties and mechanical royalties and songwriting credit and stuff mm-hmm. so he didn't have to and yeah. he did and i think that i would totally 100% credit flans for making that come to fruition mm-hmm. you know so he was like and i don't even think Linnell was at the first demo of that mm-hmm. where it was just <laughs> me tony and flans just kind of hashing it out and um I don't know how he came up with a Ny- Nyquil driver, <laughs> but yeah, we did. He, I think he he liked this notion of just a full day's a full day's drive away. Yeah, <laughs> and he kind of went with it. And Tony and I did some jams, and that drum the groove, drum sounds. Yeah. I love the drum yeah, sound. Thank you, on that thank song. you very much. Drum groove was a, another one of those flans things where we're like, mm-hmm. how, how do we make this more ri- rhythmic, yeah, more more funky, yeah. more busy, but in a good way. And and by the way, we we had been spending our days in the car, sure, driving yeah. to gigs, mm-hmm. you know. So um, <laughs> using Carland, that was directly came out of like one show, and we recorded the song, and I thought nothing, nothing was nothing would come of it mm. until we ended up with Paul Fox at. At Bearsville, yeah, and we recorded the song, and Linnell was playing on it, and you know, mm-hmm. so we we were all co-writers of that song, and it started to sound good. It started to no, sound, it's, sound like a it's song, like you know, a great song. Yeah, I think that's another the single. We, we actually played that song. Yeah. Thank you very much. Everything and the har- Linnell does a great harmony on it. He's it's, it's a full great song. Plans guitar playing is great on it. Yeah, and we I think we played that song on Con- on, on a Conan O'Brien show. You did it on, I wanted to talk to you about it, so I think you did it on Conan, and you did it on MTV's 120 Minutes, okay. and it's my favorite version oh, of the I, song. Okay, thank you. There's yeah. just something about it. There's just like this, this great bass, it's like a fuzz bass solo yeah. at the end that's like, you probably know what I'm talking about. It's, yeah, bass like, is great. That's, to, that's total tone. <laughs> it goes like, and that's not on the album. It's this awesome part. version of the song it's like you let the, the bass player versions. go loose it's gonna yeah. be the best yeah. stuff he does, it's almost like tone. a lead guitar solo but it's the you know yeah so that's like an awesome version do you have any memories of doing those mtv shows and all that i stuff? do you know it must be a uh, unique uh, experience I, I i do remember well the conan one i you know those are very like by the book you know yeah. you show up and, and you did why does the sunshine on conan yes yes we did <laughs> i think that was my first conan thing. with them <laughs> yeah 
Um, I just yeah. watched that on YouTube uh, last week. Oh my Because I was yeah. reminiscing it before meeting it, and yeah. I was like, "It's crazy that this was on TV." <laughs> I know. Yeah. I know. No, I could. I got to thank them a lot. They 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 featured me mm-hmm. a great deal, like way more yeah. than than I gave them credit at at, at the time. You know, mm. they certainly fe- and they again they didn't have to. So very yeah. very pleased and fortunate that they that, <laughs> that they featured me a lot. The Conan things, yeah, you kind of go in, you do you do a sound check. The producers tell you like when to play or what's what's going to happen, or they or they time the song, and make sure everything is legit, and then you play the song for for the audience. But the MTV. Th- Thing, I think the one that I remember was the Halloween one and I think that it was like up to them like John and John were 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 riffing or talking to the audience before we play a song I remember I remember me and Tony and I playing some drum grooves while Flans was that, chatting yeah, that does and, happen. <laughs> and Flans was really good at stuff like that like you mm-hmm. could those guys were very poised <laughs> when the cameras were on yeah they never I mean, it wasn't like they were total hams, but when the cameras are on, they were totally dialed in at 100%. Mm-hmm. So if, if, if anybody were to be like, oh, so do you guys want to say something for two minutes, you know, yeah. before the song, Flans would be like, absolutely. Three, two, one, go. Here it is. And he, <laughs> so he would just be able to do it. Mm-hmm. Just incredible. It's like, yeah. no, nobody can do that. A lot of my memories are me and Tony and John and John. So yeah. they were like two sets Mm-hmm. Two sets of us, and Tony and I would do the. Tri- Tony and I would travel together. So if we didn't talk about this earlier, mm-hmm. Tony and I would travel together because we didn't do a tour bus or a van or anything. Oh, okay. So after doing all of that stuff, we all of us decided that we enjoyed driving in cars better mm. than driving than being on a tour bus. And there's, we don't have enough time to talk about <laughs> tour buses. <laughs> sure, sure. It's just yeah. trust me. It's just better if you if you if you're in the United States. Traveling in the U.S. and you know where you want to go. It's better driving in a car. So the Johns rented two Lincoln Town Cars. Okay. And Tony and I had one. We would travel separately and meet each other at the gigs. So mm. John and John had had a Lincoln Town of Car. Of course they had Lincoln Town Car. So we say say goodbye after the gig and check into our, our hotel. And then before you know it, it would be 4 o'clock sound check in St. Louis. You yeah. Know? And we'd, we would see each other again there. I have a lot of memories of the four of us working together as as a unit. Where later we did have a, an extra guitar player and we had mm-hmm. horns or more horns or less horns or, you know. But really, my my a lot of my memories are just the four of us. And then why must I be sad? Does that stick out in any way in your mind? Yeah, Al, Alice Cooper. Yeah, those yeah. Are all, those are all <laughs> Alice Cooper songs, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, Great. Musically, it's, like, it's an interesting song, though, like in terms of the rhythm. That's an example, in, as far as I'm concerned, mm-hmm. that's an example of Linnell orchestrating for mu- musicians. So mm-hmm. it's not um, the bass drums and keyboards and guitars are playing through. He had a specific idea of how the instruments should interact and play out mm-hmm. the, or- the overall or- orchestration. A lot of that is doom, doom, doom. 
Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, great. Just really, that's just like another one where it's just a pleasure. Yeah, exactly. I was just going to say, like, a lot of these songs, and if I don't remember too much about them, I'll just tell everyone right now. It's like recording them was like fun. Like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. oh, we did we did three takes of this, and that's it. Like, we can't do another five takes. Like, it was mm-hmm. a lot of fun to play these songs. Yeah. and see them come alive. I was gonna ask before before I forget. Was there anything that they showed you to play that didn't translate to a real person playing? So, in other words, like you would need three hands to do it or, or something weird that <laughs> yeah. you can only do, like, especially with their 80s stuff, like, you know, with a machine. Was there any instances like that? Or Yeah, I, that's a great question. I can't think of specifically, like, a specific song, but I definitely did have conversations with Flans <laughs> where, like, I was basically like, dude, it's a good idea, but it's yeah. never going to happen. Yeah. You know, what, what you're, right, because he was thinking, like, the guy who's programming, he yeah, was going to yeah. go tr- program the drum box, you know. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, he would go there anyway. I mean, it was not, it was no no harm, no foul. So he would ask, and if, right. can you do this? Can you do that? I'd be like, you know what? It's a great sentiment, but it's really not going to happen <laughs> with 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 a live drummer, you right? Know? And I, I I might explain or, or I might try. So, well, we we talked a little bit about Spy, but so Spy is the one. It, it's an unusual song for them because it has a long improvised it's a jam. section at yeah. the. The song is only like a minute and a half. Oh, we did like. <laughs> and then a, there's three minutes of like. At the end, oh, noise. Was that the one that Linnell con- would live would conduct? Yeah, yeah, yeah um, that must have been fun. Yeah. Oh no. So that's so. If I don't remember much about the song, I yeah. do remember <laughs> yeah. that was. Mm-hmm. And actually, I haven't remembered that until now. So thank you. Okay. <laughs> that yeah. was really a lot of They're fun. They're still doing it. Oh really? At the shows, yeah. Oh cool. Yeah, we just saw and them gets, last year. It's pretty they, crazy. They so like, it. yeah, I think we, we we never really talked about it. It was mm-hmm. kind of like Linnell would conduct, mm-hmm. and some of it would be cues like two times or three times. Yeah. Some of it would be like a symbol, a hand a hand gesture to show the guitar to keep playing something where everybody else does something else, right? So there was no written formal language. We never discussed it. It was all kind of organic. It just came out of playing live gigs. I do remember is that there was one point where we all got trombones. I, I remember Flans had Flans had wow. Flans had the tour manager go out and get. Okay, for tonight's show, I want every, everybody to have a trombone. <laughs> and I don't know how he got. We <laughs> came funny. there, but it was it was hilarious. I mean, I thought it was hilarious. And if anybody <laughs> saw the show, maybe it wasn't hilarious. Yeah. But we at one point we were all supposed to just like pick up a, our hidden trombones because the audience wasn't. <laughs> You sure. know, wasn't privy, and we were all <laughs> gonna stop and just pick up a trombone. Wow! And and we all did it, and we did it for like two or three shows, and then we realized that <laughs> we can't play trombone enough to like make this funny or make, yeah, make yeah, this yeah. work, whatever. So uh, we had some great, 
great moments with that live. The song, the recorded song, I always wondered. So you hear, at one point, you hear people going like, spy, 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 and then yeah. there's like a woman scream. Was that the whole band yelling? It's, it doesn't sound like just them. It sounds like a bunch of people. I think so, yeah. <laughs> so if, if, if I remember, you know what? It's possible I that during if that the, was your vocals or other people's You know vocals. what? It's possible that it could just be them because if they did overdubs without mm. Tony and I. Yeah, Tony yeah. Me, maybe it's just them doing it or getting other people to do it. Oh, so my favorite song on John Henry is the next song, which is No One Knows My Plan. Oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> do yeah. you have mm-hmm. any memories of that? Because the, the drums in that are um, in really intricate and very, like, spirited and, yeah. you know, elaborate. And yeah, just the song itself you. is... No, it's great. It's awesome that you guys are very uh, <laughs> dialed into <laughs> yeah, yeah. To the drums. So it's an honor. Here, yeah. Here, well, there's a lot of percussion in that. Yeah, there's almost a Latin thing. Totally. Of course, that, that that's a Linnell song. Yeah. It's a great song, really. Yeah, no, yeah. No one knows my plan. Like, what a it's great another single. What a great title. <laughs> yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I think that I came up with that. What what we ended up with. Mm-hmm. That's that's kind of what I designed after playing after playing it live, and um, yeah, Lin- Linnell was very encouraging as well. Like like for I mean I, I guess overall, mm-hmm. both Flans and Linnell were very encouraging. Like yeah, keep keep going. This is good. Do, do it again. Do it. You know so. That song is very, very drumistic. Yeah. And that was a huge... It's like filling in all the spaces throughout the song. Yeah. Very good song live to play. Because, yeah, because I don't know if it was good or bad, but but people used to do a conga line yep. mm-hmm. to that song in big venues. Mm-hmm. It, was a, it was a good showstopper, you know. Yeah, dirt bike. My girlfriend's favorite song is dirt oh bike. Oh my god, yeah. It's <laughs> another one we did on television. I think like like an early morning show. Yes, yeah. you did. That was oh my god. That's a good thing to talk about because it's very weird. Good morning yeah. America or something. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. very strange. Like why that's why us why that's why yeah why yeah. there why <laughs> yeah why. I don't know how it how that came about <laughs> could be that 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 the you know a lot of these things come about because the producer of the show is a fan of the Giants so yeah they just want the Giants on. You see, I never thought I'd understand Till that bike took me by the hand I ride I don't remember much about the recording of that song other than um, it's another rhythmically feature. It features the rhythm. Yeah, you know, yeah, really. it's... I just always love the sound. That song just has like a feel to it. A lot of horns in that song, isn't there? Like a mm-hmm. horn, and it's got a groove ending, to it. but the horns kind of end that song, right? They they were good friends with a saxophone player named Kurt Hoffman, who was right. their play, yeah. you know, their in their band. But but also, I'm forgetting that Linnell played Linnell played the yeah. clarinet. He played yeah. saxophone. Yeah, <laughs> he played. He, I think he played. 
bass clarinet on something. Mm-hmm. I, for, I forget what it was, but he, what a talented dude. Yeah. So, yeah, he was a reed player as well. Right. So mm-hmm. he liked all that stuff too. And and then Destination Moon is a big fan favorite. Do you remember that yes, one? Yes, I do. Yeah, the drums on that are really, there's a crazy like a hi-hat thing happening. Like, yes. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, Dave? there's like, like 16th notes or something on the hi-hat. Yeah. No, that was another one. It was fun, fun to record, mm-hmm. fun, fun to play. Uh, another Linnell song that you were hoping would be a hit or a single. Yeah. That's yeah. what I mean. And to, like Snail Shell, to me, like that's like more of a catchy song than Snail yeah. Shell. But I don't know if catchiness is so much the point as it is like a certain sound or feel. I don't know. Yeah. I, it's, um, Destination Moon is totally a single. Yeah, I feel like it's a single. I mean, I've said that about every song, but... Yeah, this one particularly is. Now that now that we're looking at the track list, yeah, there's a lot there's of a lot great, great songs. There. Yeah, yeah. Um, we album. talked about Self Called Nowhere. We talked about Me James Unzar. So thermostat, thermostat is kind of a random one. Yeah, I j- I don't <laughs> almost never played live. Almost I just never. remember having a conversation with <laughs> Jamie Kitman, their mm-hmm. manager, one day when we were walking together before a show. We were just like out for air and yeah. France or something, and we were walking around Paris, and him, him saying something like, you know. It's funny that Linnell writes songs about thermostats. (laughs) Exactly. I was was like, yeah, it is. Yeah. I don't know anybody else who writes songs about thermostats or, (laughs) you know, whatever. But um, the ultimate song about a thermostat. Yeah, there's, I mean, is there any better? Best song ever about a thermostat. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's an that's one of the even even for um, that album or even for John Linnell, that's one of the more like curious ones. Yeah, it, well, and it's that, like a, and what's that has an interesting there? horn intro, mm-hmm. right? right? Yeah, that I'm I love sure that he plays chords, on yeah. uh, in the studio. I'm sure he's one of the horn players. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, great, <laughs> like just a great, great orchestrator, great arranger, great songwriter. What do you think about window? Because right, that's an interesting one. Listen, so, about looking people, yeah, looking because look the whole thing is pitched window. lower, yeah. so your drums sound really huge out. on it. Yeah. I can't recall the name of the band that was out at the at that time, mm-hmm. but they had a singer. I, I remember me and Linnell used to talk about the singers that would sing like this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we would joke at it. I'd right. be like, why? Why do singers? In bands like rock bands are singing like especially in the nineties. Yeah, singing like this. Yeah, like I didn't want to say his name, but you did. (laughs) Eddie Vedder. Singing like this. I was like, why? Why? And um, so that band. Wait a (laughs) second. Really ties into it. Is it the Crash Test Dummies? Oh yeah, yeah. They do that too. So yeah, and then Gunning for you too. And and um, calling you out. I could be wrong, Linnell. Forgive me if if I'm if this isn't the story, but and I. Think that 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 could have been why we decided Linnell decided to do it like this, so and we funny. did yeah. we did slow it all down. You know, if you slow it, if you record at regular tempo, right, regular speed, and then you slow it down, it has a great effect for the drums. The Beatles yeah, did it a lot. It sounds great. Drums sound great. Like, you know, as a matter of fact, when I record my next song, I'm gonna do that. Yeah, you know, um, <laughs> do it. And yeah, that's just another classic Linnell. But I could, I could be wrong, but maybe he's parroting parodying all of the singers or many of the singers that were that were popular around, around that time we sang like that mm-hmm. you know because we would joke <laughs> about it constantly like why are people talking like this singing <laughs> so like funny. this it was a catalog of men and women man the window 
favorite is end of the tour yeah i just want to know your general thoughts on that's it probably or... like one actually that's one of my favorite on the on the album mm-hmm. you know i mean I got, i've got a lot of favorites obviously but yeah but that's one that's just like it's kind of a, like sweet but yeah it's like <laughs> it's great melodically mm-hmm. it's got a great sentiment to it it really kind of encapsulates what i was feeling about them mm. in my in my mind you know like what they might be giants was all about in the nell songs yeah and great song and that would be another one that i thought that we would see you know girls with crowns on in the first three rows yes. <laughs> yeah you know to show john linnell you know <laughs> that they're listening and so on but mm-hmm. yeah it, it kind of got i mean we, we did play it live but yeah, and then it went away for a while, and now it came back somewhat recently, mm-hmm. which yeah. has been like very nice for for fans. Yeah, it's like why would you not play this yeah. <laughs> song? Yeah. Um, and then so then there are songs left off of John Henry that I'm very interested in. So there's the three on the Back to Skull single, which is yeah. on Dean. Do you remember? Yes, I. That's do. a great yeah. one. We listened in the car on the way here, and we noticed the drums are you know, it's got the kind of film noir jazzy. Yes, you know. Yeah. Honestly, well, yeah, I don't remember too much about it, but mm-hmm. yeah, it has that jazz hi hat kind of thing. Yeah, Flynn's like that. Yeah, he liked that film noir thing. Or and then yeah, she was a hotel detective. The second version. Yeah, of the that. Song. Yeah, that. The, that. It's like a disco song. Yeah, that I think, and I don't, I don't remember anything about that. By the way, sorry, <laughs> okay. but yeah, that that whole I think that was all stuff that that they had designed before a band was in play you know before yeah, a real drummer yeah, was in play that's interesting because they sound like earlier kinds of songwriting that they do yeah. and they don't exactly mesh with the songwriting style on John Henry yeah so I guess maybe we should do like bet- between John Henry and Factory Showroom like what was it what was going on with so you, you talked about touring for John Henry and how you didn't get support from the label you know yeah so you were preparing like a some sort of a memoir right or a yeah, series yeah. of blogs yeah. or something yeah do you want to talk about that Cause yeah sure i mean i feel I, st- I still feel to be honest with you that i have a story to tell yeah and um that people in general are interested uh, would be interested about hearing about the life of a musician you know yeah touring musician somebody's not really that famous just kind of like and <laughs> so i yeah, I was very into blogging in like 2010, yeah. 11 about my experiences and stuff. And honestly, I think maybe like 50 people read my blog. <laughs> yeah. And but it was a good, it was very very therapeutic. And I wrote about different bands that I was with and stuff. And sometimes was not very nice to certain people. Or, I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't say I was I, I was mean. I would just be honest. Yeah. It's like it was a good way in this in this business in the entertainment business. You often have to be very nice yeah. about what you say <laughs> to people. This this was my way of saying like what I really felt. Right? <laughs> sure. So um yeah, I felt that there was that there'd be a place in this storytelling for me to tell my uh, about my adventures where they might be giants. Mm-hmm. And um, so I wrote a couple things about about being about being with the giants, about about playing with them and one piece 
I felt got me into a little bit of hot water. So I got a little gun shy after that and just pulled the plug. And to be Mm -hmm. honest with you, my website got hacked like the day after that thing was up and people were leaving nasty comments and stuff. And I just felt like, eh, it's not really, (laughs) not really that worth it. I would love to tell my story like, like, like we're doing now. Yeah. People are really interested in asking questions about it, but, but it wasn't that important for me to tell my story under those circumstances, you know? So that's kind of it. Well, I love the one thing that you did share, which I thought was very interesting, <laughs> which was about Weird Al being at the show. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, the, the Wikipedia links to this thing because it's still up on Internet Archive. Okay. So it's Uh-oh. there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it's it's fascinating because it, it brought up things that I talk about all the does time. It, does it paint me? I mean, do, do I sound like I'm saying it? You sound a- like you're like a kind of a mystified observer. Yeah, that kind mean, of. That's, you're like a curious observer who's like, "This is interesting." You're not yeah. really judging, um, but it's also something that I understood. I understood both sides of it. So, yeah. in, in your story, you say, or unless you want to talk about, no, it. no, go ahead. Go ahead. So, well, the, <clears throat> way, the way you depict is that Weird Al went to a show because he's actually a huge They Might Be Giants fan, mm-hmm. and like fans of Weird Al know this because he's talked about them a lot right. uh, as his fa- one of his favorite bands of all time. So he was at a show, and Flansburg was just saying, "No one." He was saying backstage, no one take a photo with Weird Al. Yes. <laughs> because yes. they don't want to be associated. Likewise, they turn, Weird Al asked them to open for him. Mm-hmm. They said no. I think this might have been before you. Um, yeah. This was in like the early 90s. And then likewise, Weird Al invited them to perform on his children's show they'd out on CBS, and they said no. Yeah. Despite now they're like a children's mm-hmm. band. Right. And that would have been perfect for their... You know, so I, I, you know, I've always thought it's interesting because you, what, what you kind of muse on in your thing is, you know, it's like they want to be taken very seriously, which is you can respect, but they want to be taken very seriously while having very funny lyrics, yes, <laughs> and very yes. funny. They're just funny. They're funny people, right? Yes. And so there's a strange conflict there. I mean, I guess if you're on, some people might not understand it and it seems like a conflict. I get it. Like, I like to be funny, but I also like to be taken seriously. Yeah, of course. course. The right kind of laugh. I I, I can step in because I listened to one of your previous episodes (laughs) and you talked about uh, with your guest that that the nature of They Might Be Giants is such that they're... They do write funny stuff, but don't you dare laugh don't at Don't laugh at, yeah. yeah. It's don't like, laugh don't at this laugh hilarious at yeah. lyric. <laughs> yeah, or like, you know, because, yeah, laugh laugh with me, not at me kind, yes. of, kind of thing. Exactly. So I'm, I hope that that encapsulates it, That but, makes sense. Yeah, so the anecdote about Weird Al kind of... Well, Weird Al is kind of like a joke band, you know, yeah. it's like a joke, like, right? So that would... In my opinion, that was the perception. It's like, we're mm-hmm. not a joke band. We might do, like, funny stuff, or yeah. we might have humor, humor might be an element mm-hmm. in what we do, but once we associate ourselves with Weird Al, there's no going back. That yeah. would be what I'm thinking. Yeah. So, and that's my perception. I just have to make it very clear. Yeah, yeah. That's my perception <laughs> and my opinion. I totally get it, yeah. So just to lay out a little more context yes. of this, I think that this particular show was a show in Los Angeles, so that Whoa. would be a town where someone like Weird Al would, might, might come to mm-hmm. a show. There's a lot of people, and there are people in the crew people in the band, people in the house crew. So there could have been like any number of, uh, you know, 60 people working the show that night that mm-hmm. could have said, yeah, Weird Al, come back. I'll get you yeah, backstage, yeah. you know? <laughs> and so I guess that saying something like that, broadcasting that was just telling everybody that this mm-hmm. is not something that we 
that we're desiring yeah. at the moment. And that's the way that I remember it. Mm-hmm. So what, uh, what were some of the, like, so you've got these planned chapters yeah. of your, I, I wanted to go through them. If, if you we just touch, touch upon them quickly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Genius of John Linnell. I don't know if you already that's, got into that. You know, yeah. But. We've already discussed a lot of his genius. Mm-hmm. He's, he's, he hands you songs that are already done. He's, mm-hmm. he's hearing stuff in his head that, that I'll never hear. I yeah. mean, these are my impressions. He's like, yeah, he's he's somebody. And and you know, Flan said this one day when me and when Flans and me were having dinner, mm. and he, so, something to the effect like, I never take it for granted that I'm that I'm working with one of the world's greatest, you know, musical so geniuses. Sweet. Like he's like, there's not a day that goes by that I don't appreciate this you that's know. how i feel about dave oh yeah i, I can tell <laughs> <It's> true <laughs> um but that's basically the genius of john Lennon. yeah he's no like, that's wonderful that's it's like thing. you know he's incredibly <laughs> talented and i'll i'll never work with another artist like that again does that come out in everyday interaction with him or is it really reserved oh for yeah the no news? no he's funny he's yeah. funny like in everyday life and, and in conversation he sees humor mm-hmm. and everything you know <laughs> and he's, he's quiet too he could be he could be quiet so <laughs> yeah. He's, no, he's he's totally a good a good dude, mm-hmm. and, and yeah. So that's that would that would basically be about his musical genius and how he yeah. was supportive of all that I did with mm-hmm. the band. What was mm-hmm. I'm at the helm uh, plan? Yeah, to that be? was something <laughs> that yeah. So I don't even know how I would flesh that out into okay. like a longer chapter, but that was something that I used to say. I used to throw down to everybody in the room during a rehearsal, <laughs> like, listen to me. Like, if we were debating about something, I would say, listen, I'm at the helm. <laughs> so, <laughs> quiet your thoughts, yeah. sit down, <laughs> I'll take care of this. It's, Good. So, it would be something, this was, uh, this was something that I started saying, and then sooner or later, Tony would say, like, Brian's at the helm. <laughs> you know, and then... Before you know it, Flans and Linnell would say something like, he's at the helm. That's hilarious. You know, listen to him. What does he think? <laughs> so I hope that they're still saying stuff like oh, that in their, in their rehearsals now. Those but things that, have a uh, way of, I still say stuff that I, we joked about like 15 yeah. years ago. Oh, and God, I don't know how yeah. I got this helm like I'm the captain of a ship. But, yeah. You know. <laughs> You're the captain. Um, okay. The next one I'm very intrigued by, which is the power of Flans. Yeah, you know, I mean, you probably know this, that he has a, an incredibly powerful personality. Yes. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I think you talked about, you touched upon this in the episode that I listened to. Yeah. Um, when you're in the room with him, he's his personality is very, very strong. Mm-hmm. And he's also funny. He's got a great, great sense of humor. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't mince words either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah. And when it comes to... Um, and that's kind of that, that's so great. Like in, when it comes to his business dealings, or when mm. when I've seen him deal with crew or things that need to be done, he's very he's very proactive. This mm-hmm. guy doesn't wait. In terms of what I've seen, he doesn't wait for stuff to happen. He just makes it happen. Yes, yeah. <laughs> he's the rainmaker. So you don't meet many people like this, like like that either, mm-hmm. who are just like he's ne- never he was never wishy washy or you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was always like, this is what we're doing. This is what I'm doing. This is what's going to happen. Yeah. And here's how it's going to be. <laughs> so uh, it's it's an incredible, incredible uh, trait, characteristic to 
to have ca valuable. character trait, yeah. To have that, especially a band like They Might Be Giants, which might be a little left of center, yeah. you know, to get people on board with you. Like, no, trust me, this is how it's going to be. Yeah, you have yes. no you no idea what it's like to work with somebody like that. Because <laughs> I, I, I think that I'm at the helm, but he was really at the helm, He's I guess. Really at the helm. That's the title of the episode. <laughs> You don't say, Brian. So, huh. <laughs> so guys, did you like that uh, interview? Scintillating. Mm, yes, yes, yes. Tantalizing. Skint scintillating? I thought it was good. <laughs> you want to talk about the unpleasantness yeah. that happened afterwards? <laughs> I, I think this is worth capturing forever in time. Um, as we are leaving Brian Doherty's house, uh, we're, we're driving not two Too minutes <laughs> on, yeah. the, on the highway, and the tire blows out. In our car, in my car. <laughs> oh, now it's our car. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess I, I call it the Podmobile yeah. when we go interview someone. Yeah. <laughs> There's a little logo on the side of a, yeah. But um, yeah, the tire blew out. Uh, it was terrifying. That was scary. What, what, what were you feeling in that moment? I thought this was the last thing I was ever going to do. <laughs> <laughs> not too bad though right yeah good way to go out i mean i think like family and stuff's overrated eh. you know talking to someone how many who, times do you get to talk to brian doherty how though? many times you get to talk to someone who played drums for three one years of in one of your of favorite <laughs> bands <laughs> exactly so yeah the tire we're, we're driving and, and the tire blew out um which i didn't know happened because we all we did was we heard something yeah and we felt something and if if you feel in something <laughs> say something and i said What's going on? So we, we pulled to the side of the highway, and this is a highway. And we weren't too far, I believe, from a gas station, and you thought maybe we could... We were about one mile from a gas station, and I said, should we drive we to the gas station? we started a little bit, and it was the most horrific sound and feeling. So it's the sound of metal on the road. It's the sound of you shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> yeah, so we're, we're I start trying to drive to the gas station, and it's a really scary sound, and I'm like, am I destroying the car? You so were. we call AAA. Uh, it didn't take as long as I thought it was going to. Yeah. But they... Uh, I thought we'd have to really, you know, camp out overnight there. Yeah. Uh, thankfully, I had a... This is like a PSA. Keep a spare tire in your trunk. And I'll say, if the tire hadn't blown out on the traffic side, we probably could have changed it because we did that before. We once figured out how to change a People, tire. This isn't the first time Jordan and I had to change a tire. Yeah. Because we're manly. That's right. That's right. But um, I was a little afraid we'd be run over. So yeah. we pulled over to the shoulder. But you know what? If I had to be stuck on the highway with anyone. It would be Brian. No, <laughs> me. <laughs> me. Yeah. It was good company. It wasn't. Too, you know, it's funny. I was thinking. We were just chatting more. Anyway. I was thinking about <laughs> it's this. like what we do anyway. Um, some people respond to these things very horribly and get really stressed. When something is so stressful, it's almost like I go into shock and I'm just like, this is funny. Like, I was just kind of like, no, it's fine. It's cool. It's weird. Uh, whereas minor things stress me out. You sure. Know, like very small things stress me out. Well, as long as we didn't get hit. I was fine. I mean, we we're just were, waiting around. It was a, it, we could have been. That was my only fear. The cars were coming very close. Yeah. It was scary. Yeah. Uh, so li listen, contact us at don't let's start podcast at gmail.com. Check out our Twitter at don't let's pod. Uh, if you know a They Might Be Giants fan who would like this, please spread the word. Do you even know any drummers? Don't keep your stupid mouth shut. 
Open it. Do you want it? Do you have any drummers you know who are interested in Drumming. conversations with drummers? Because I don't think there's a lot of too many of those out there. What's coming up in part two? This will be up in a few days. Uh, part two. Brian tells us a really funny story, interesting story about opening for Hootie and the Blowfish, which is something of a personal fascination I have with They Might Be Giants' career. He talks about Factory Showroom, those songs. Hey, hey. He talks about state songs. He actually played drums on a bunch of John Linnell state songs. He talks about playing drums uh, for a, a hot second in Monopuff, which is was crazy to hear about. And then we also get into his his other bands that he's rehearsed with, played mm -hmm. with. XTC, some of these bands will you, you guys will be fans of, right? XTC, REM. There's a great REM story. I'm hmm. very happy. <laughs> was very happy to hear. Ben Folds and and more. There's more stuff. Part two is is full of of treats treats for you oh yes with that reminded me because he brian already put out an album called treat and release and we we talk mm -hmm. a bit about his album it's like a it's an amazing album uh it's you know he's singing playing guitar drum it's it's a great pop album so we, we talk a lot about that so check out part two dave i'm here i want to thank brian doherty again yes for his time and his candor and we're gonna have even more of that next part so thanks everyone and see you soon for part two. On the drums, round the scans all the way from Jersey City. The man who 